0: I am excited to bring you episode number 50 of conversations with calcaterra and uh wow 50 episodes it's um it's gone by pretty quick it's it's been a lot of fun and uh it's a nice little milestone for me and it's uh it's a blessing to have talked with radio icon asher ben ruby aka the smash um a lot of people may know him as the smash and then it's uh we reverse those things but uh amazing amazing guy a uh, bit of a gentle giant uh, the man with uh, the golden voice he's um such a good dude and it was great to uh, take this uh, bit of a journey through rock and roll history through st louis music history through uh this you know this uh, djing when when uh, the jockeys could uh, throw out uh, you know the play the music they wanted to play and uh, you know, do their thing when the the radio morning show was, uh, you know, was at its peak, maybe, or when when the radio your local radio morning show was um, uh, was you know something that you just you celebrated that at morning uh, driving to work listening to that. Uh, times have changed, and I, I think podcasts have taken over that. I know um, a good buddy of mine was listening to the uh, Ben Hockman podcast on his way to work, so it took him a couple of listens to get through that and uh but he enjoyed that and having taking that journey with Ben and and talking about his book and all that. So yeah, this is a a bit of a journey here with uh Smash. It's a longer episode, but uh well worth the listen. So listen to it uh in, in parts. I was thinking of breaking it up into two parts, but decided just to keep it one because there's really no rules for podcasting so just uh just really good stuff. Want to thank the sponsors uh Dr. Mark Holland who is uh who has been with me pretty much uh, all these 50 episodes. First episode with Ben Wilson did not uh, I did not have any sponsors at that point, but then picked up a few uh very very amazing supportive friends who are doing really cool things and you know, taking care of, uh, of their customers, their communities, their, uh, clients, uh, what have you. So Dr. Mark Holland is, uh, has been with me since the beginning and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll hang on for a while longer. Um, yeah, I want, want to just keep talking with great people and, and putting this out and growing it. Uh, it's a, it's a slow grow, but, uh, but it's, but it's a good, it's very fulfilling. So I think you'll you'll hear that with the Smash HoboKane. Check out hobocane dot com. Check out the music of Javier Mendoza, and I, I know you'll like what he's putting out there. And he's a, he's a guy that's been doing this for a number of years and has an amazing catalog. And the Smash knows of him. Uh, in fact, I ran into the Smash recently at uh, an event where Javier was playing, and and that allowed us to uh, to chat and uh, throw out the podcast idea again and and fortunately we are able to uh connect our schedules and do this. Mike Albishon. Mike uh was one of the original sponsors. He's uh been on and off and I appreciate his support as always. And uh go check him out, Premier Insurance. He can uh give you quotes. Doesn't cost you anything to get a quote. You uh you might find that you're gonna save a lot of money, so it's well worth the call and he's uh he's a great guy to talk to. Just a fan of the show, you know, just fan of you just just you know just a music fan so ha- have attended uh you know a number of, of things with Mike over the years and great parties and uh just amazing food and he's just an amazing friend so give him give him a shot at your business uh give him a shot to uh find you the best price uh the best product for your money he uh you you won't be disappointed he he's if even if you just get a chat with him and talk blues hockey and uh you know the heartbreak that that is He's a he's a wonderful person to do so with, and um, last but not least, Stephen Walden, uh dot com. Stephen is an incredible artist, and uh, his pop culture, baseball, sports—he's just tearing it up. And uh, he's a, he's an alum of the podcast. Check out his conversation, the conversation that we had together, and we're we're planning something coming up uh where you know we talk about some some marketing of artwork and uh things of that nature so that should be pretty helpful he's uh he's been helping artists along the way he's uh he's now public speaking and so he has a lot to offer out there doing some consulting so he's a great guy to talk with and um you know getting back to uh getting back to asher ben ruby the smash it was, I was really blessed. He, you know, he, uh, he shares a, a story that he's never shared with anyone else about, uh, a situation that happened in his radio days in Indiana and, uh, something that where his coworkers and good friends just, uh, didn't, uh, you know, stop speaking to him. And, uh, you know, he wanted to get that, uh, out in the air, what was going on, something he was dealing with, with management and, uh, his coworkers took it the wrong way. So he's uh, shedding a little light on that situation talking about uh, the times when he was booking Mellencamp, uh, talking about a little time when he, uh, there's some interactions he had with Kenny Aronoff, who's just an incredible drummer, was Mellencamp's drummer for uh, a number of years, and just uh, just all these cool people he met along the way uh, on his journey, and uh, it's just amazing for me to uh, hear about that and just experience uh, some of these amazing stories, and I know you're going to love them. The radio wars between him and uh, J.C., Corcoran. Was that a work or was it real? Smash shed some light on that. And um, yeah, just other stories. Uh, Sam Kennison hanging out with Sam Kennison when he came into town and a time on Headbangers Ball when uh, Guns N' Roses destroyed the set. Just amazing, amazing stories. You can find out more about me and my story, KenCalcaterra.com. Have a few blogs on there. Find the podcast at KenCalcaterra.com. See some of the videos that I've direct it, create it, some collaborations, just a a little bit about me. Find, uh, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at, at Ken Calcaterra, really enjoying Twitter right now and those conversations. Um, what else, what else? Instagram, Ken Calcaterra. And I just, uh, I just took my nephew, uh, my nephew David to a, a rock and roll show, you know, just really inspired by, um, uh, you know, this conversation smashing I had and talking about him, uh, You know, just uh, kind of fostering that music knowledge with his with his kids. So I try to do that with uh, uh, my niece and nephew, David and Kylie, and uh, just we. David and I went to the uh, Sons of Apollo show, and he really enjoyed that his first rock and roll concert to see uh, one of his favorite drummers, Mike Portnoy, and uh, just really enjoyed that and was blown away by the singer um, Jeff Scott Soto. So uh, you know, had some little uh, Twitter conversations with him, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to chat with him on the podcast at one point just have have some big big dreams for this so thank you as always for your support we started this show out with a song from the smash band and we'll end it with that as well we'll bookend so uh enjoy that go uh check out smash on uh on his website i've included the link asherbenruby.com here he is the legendary smash on conversations with calcaterra (laughs) It is an absolute honor to just have one of those distinct voices to be able to record that and talk to you, sir. How are you tonight?
1: Cool. Glad to be here. Nice to see you. Ken. You all right over there?
0: Yes, sir. Just getting initial levels going here. All right. We're kicked back. We're relaxed, doing a little bit different Definitely. this time, which is which is a lot of fun. now. That voice, was that something that was just a natural thing, or did you work to develop that over the years? No,
1: I d- never worked on it. No, man, it's just the way I talk. And, uh, you know, when I sing, I kind of have a, a a belting type of voice like uh, Seeger, Springsteen, those, those kind of singers, you know. But when I talk, man, I just talk normal.
0: Nice. It's a It's a bit of a growl, I think, is how... How one might subscribe uh, or to uh, describe that type of voice. It's sweet, man. I love it.
1: I appreciate it, man. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, glad to say thank you, Lord, for this voice, because I remember growing up in the early days of my radio uh, time, at least, and uh, and you see these poor guys would be putting on deep voices like that, you know, and it's kind of like, come on, man, just be yourself, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no doubt. hey, I'm just, uh, I ain't complaining, I'm explaining
0: that's right on. All right. But it is kind of funny those guys that they sound one way when you just chat yeah. with them or rapping with them yeah. out in the hallway, and then they get on yeah. the get on the microphone, and then they put on that radio persona.
1: Well, for those who have a, a sort of a stage fright, that works out good because that way nobody knows who you are because you don't sound like what you're supposed to be sounding like what you sound on the air.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, how, so, how did how did the name Smash come about?
1: Uh, in the early days of our band time, I started up my first band in 1967 with a bunch of partners, mine, friends of mine at Shortridge high school in Indianapolis shortly after we, uh, uh, went into traveling all around the country and everything. First band was called Frenchie and the wee wees. And uh, and then we we thought we were were cool because wee uh was the French word yeah, it means yes yes yeah, but yeah. at the same time we were saying wee wee so we were saying a dirty word <laughs> uh, but that was uh, 1967 so that was the way that was then I had a college band pure funk which involved some of the wee wees also and pure funk eventually started writing our own music and we turned into a band called Roadmaster and we were playing up in Chicago. And I, at that particular point in time, I still do it to uh, this day. I I don't really call uh, guys in the band by their names. I I have nicknames for everybody. And so I had a nickname for everybody. And I couldn't uh, really find one that fit until I found one that I thought was beautiful. Because one of my favorite singers back in that day was Nat King Cole. And I was really, really big, even bigger than I am now. And I had gone like three years without a haircut. Uh, If you go to AsherBenRuby.com, you'll see that picture there,
0: Matt. And it was fascinating hair. I was looking at some photos. We may have to use that as a thumbnail for the the podcast and celebrate those old days. It was was awesome. Massive. I appreciate it, buddy. Massive head of hair. It
1: was massive, man. (laughs) But that was three years without a haircut. And um, so I looked like an animal and so I called myself everybody had stage names and I called myself because Asher Ben Ruby my real name was too hard for people to deal with back then now yeah, everybody's yeah. got weird names name. so yeah, no doubt. Oh, I appreciate it but back then that wasn't a on stage showbiz type of name you know so I named myself because I was a singer and yet at the same time I was as big as an animal I named myself Nat King Kong and <laughs> that was my name for about six months yeah. and uh i had an explosive uh style of singing and everything and toby myers who uh wound up uh going on to be john Mellencamp's bass player because we all knew each other from the indiana days and everything uh he and i were rooming uh in chicago and got done with a gig and uh, he wakes me up at three in the morning i'll never forget because i looked at the clock it was three in the morning and he said, I got a name for you. All right, what is it? Thinking in my head, this better be good. <laughs> he, and he said, The Mighty Adam, A D A M, Smasher, because of the explosive style. Yeah, yeah. I thought, man, that's a cool name. Because I was a caricature type of guy, and so it's a good caricature type of name. And I could drop Nat King Kong, which was kind of like. Uh,
0: that's cartoonish. Not, yeah, not that's what his character
1: is. So the mighty Adam smasher was born up there in uh, Chicago and I uh, became the mighty Adam smasher. Since then uh, I was Adam smasher on the radio in Indianapolis. I shortened it to the smash in, uh, in Washington DC cause an old man, probably a guy my age now, but an old man came up to me after one of the shows at one of the theme parks out there. He said, son, you were a smash. I thought, okay, well, that plays with Adam Smasher, but I don't have to be Adam Smasher no more. And uh, smash is a showbiz term that means success. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I took it on, and uh, I came to St. Louis in 1988 as the smash. And uh, boom, I guess the rest is history, as they say
0: yeah and I think with the smash is more of your own persona yeah when of course Adam smasher is more mm-hmm, that character, mm-hmm, so you're mm-hmm. you're someone else as Adam smasher, but yes, as smash you're were. you're yourself is how yeah. I see that yeah
1: that's a good uh that's a good way to draw
0: a parallel nice. yeah, and so looking that's at cool. yeah looking at so three years without a haircut was that you were looking to grow it or you just like didn't didn't want to spend the money for a haircut, what was going no, on there? man, we
1: were like uh I wasn't like the peace and love type of yeah, hippie. Yeah. I was like the Jerry Rubin, Abby Hoffman type of uh uh riotous yeah. hippie, shall okay. we say. All right. And so the the hair was uh, a really a response to the quote unquote establishment. Okay. And the crazy part about it is this uh nutty, man. I uh, I went three years without a haircut and one day this thing was like so heavy on me <laughs> and itched so bad. Yeah. Uh, and I kept it clean. I wasn't a dirty guy or uh-huh. nothing. I kept it clean, but it's so bad. I just went to the barber one day and buzzed it off, man. And, uh, I mean, everybody who knew me, our fans, the Indiana University community, uh, they freaked, man, because they'd never seen me uh, with, like, normal hair for, for the longest time. So, the only a mistake I should have made, uh, and one of my buddies brought it up to me, was when I cut all that hair off. What I should have done was give it away to charity, yeah. but I, I wasn't thinking. I was just like, I want to get this off of me, and so I uh, what, did. They went have bust.
0: charities like that for back back in those days.
1: Well, That's what the what my partner told me. I don't know. Okay. I never heard of a, uh, that kind yeah, of charity I mean, before. It's, it's pretty common yeah, now, right. but yeah, I wouldn't think uh, the, right the,
0: sensibilities. But yeah. but what was it like those days, like touring on the road and music back in the sixties?
1: Oh, it was a magnificent time, 60s and 70s when we when we rolled. Um, we were fortunate enough to strike a, uh, a recording deal and have a record contract. We originally started, me and a couple of uh, my partners, started up a label out of Indianapolis where we lived, uh, Village Records. And uh, eventually, because of the times that we played in Chicago, so many times we were like one of the big... Uh, party bands in chicago along with a band called ms funk which was tommy shaw he went on to uh startup sticks with uh
0: dennis young and, yeah, and all that all they cats, were called yeah. the four
1: trade wins back then i think
0: and then uh
1: you know we used to play rush up was the big club man uh if you got into rush up you were doing something so you know we had a lot of uh great opportunities there to not only travel with them the bands of that time at the various nightclub levels the nightclub uh stages and everything but after signing that contract mercury records took an interest and in the early days of that they put us on tours and one of the things that they would do is you know just in the effort to hype up an album uh they put you on with somebody not even necessarily their own label just whatever kind of deals they made so we would open up for uh Seeger, Rush, uh, we do shows with REO. I tell you, one of the greatest shows uh, I, I ever, ever did. It's our band, Roadmaster, and REO Speedwagon. So when we were in a territory, that band got the top billing. Mm-hmm. Our territory was Indianapolis and a little bit north and a little bit east. So REO handled that territory, which was Evansville, Indiana. It was a 10,000-seat Roberts Arena. And so we thought, man, because they just put their album out. We had just put our album out, the first albums. And so we thought, oh, man, this is going to be smoking. All right. <laughs> so it's REO and it's Roadmaster. So <laughs> <laughs> Roadmaster opens up for REO. And so we get out there and I'm telling you, can't. I'm looking at 10,000 people. But they didn't show up. There's only a hundred people oh. in a ten thousand oh. seat auditorium. Oh man! And, uh, That's rough. Oh, that was rough, man. <laughs> and that kind of put you in your place. And and you know you you got to really put out for the hundred as you would for the ten thousand. Oh, of so course, you give them a good show. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, if that there's was, one person there, you yeah can put out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was quite the humbling experience and uh, taught me a great lesson of expectation, shall we say? Wow. Don't expect. Just go out there and produce, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's and so what was this? The promoter didn't didn't promote, or what was? I honestly have no idea. Showed up because the promoter
1: was a well known promoter uh, in that area, and uh, Robert's Arena was well known. The university was there, so you figured the youngsters would be out there, collegians out there partying with us and everything. But (laughs) nobody showed up, (laughs) and that was quite the humbling experience. No doubt. Yep.
0: And so, so you grew up in uh, you grew up in the Indianapolis area. Yeah,
1: we're Greek immigrants, and so we came over when I was two, and um, uh, Ellis Island over there they would place people. Yeah, and so my mom and pop spoke no English, and so they said uh, the Jewish Welfare Federation brought us over. My uh, father's a Greek Jew, my mom's a Greek Orthodox, and so uh, brought us over, uh, and so they asked where would you want to live seattle or indianapolis were the two cities you could choose from at least yeah. for the folks who are coming off of uh-huh. that boat okay. all right yeah yeah polis in greek means city and so when my mom heard seattle and indianapolis yeah, yeah. well she said boys <laughs> and we wound up going to Indianapolis. Uh, because she thought it was a Greek uh, town over there. So that's how we got to Indianapolis. That's where I grew up. And, um, you know, I was going to be a plumber like my dad. Uh, I love my dad uh, immensely. And, um, you know, I was the first one to go to college and all that stuff out of uh, all that family and that kind of a story. Because uh, my dad didn't want me to be a plumber. He wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, uh, and yeah. oh man, he was pushing me to be a doctor. I'm going to give you that story in just a second because right, right. this is a killer story. This is an immigrant story, <laughs> Nice. but I got bit by the rock and roll bug sure. and, uh, I dropped all my pre-law stuff and political science stuff and just, uh, quit college. And, uh, I quit for a year yeah. when I went back and I didn't like any of the, the courses, but when I went back after the quit. I was a straight-A student for two years and uh, was able to graduate Indiana University and and everything. Just pounded in my head, be a doctor, be a doctor, be a doctor. Now, my father fought against the Italians when the fascists tried to take over Greece. He fought against the Germans when the Germans took over Greece. And then the communists, when they tried to take over, over Greece, and then they immigrated to America. And so I asked him, Sitting on the porch, I'll never forget it. Just about five years before he died, I said, "Pop, why? Why did you want me to be a doctor?" And he said, "Because we never talked. Because we we had friction, like a father and son mm-hmm. would have, you know." And he said, "Because of my upbringing, fighting the Italians, fighting the Germans, fighting the 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 communists." He said, "Because." If the communists win the Cold War, because this was going on during mm-hmm. the Cold War, yeah, yeah. if they won the Cold War and took over America, because he saw the Germans take over Greece, if they won the Cold War and took over America, the communists would not kill the doctors They'd kill the rock and roll singers. (laughs) They'd kill the plumbers. You dirty hippies. They'd kill the hippies, but they wouldn't kill the doctors.
0: Yeah, they wouldn't kill
1: the doctors. They wouldn't kill the doctors. So that was an amazing father-son experience. Had I understood that back then, but he never translated it uh, to me back then. Uh, Had I understood that, then maybe my life would have gone in a different direction. But, Uh but. but uh, I'm thinking about pop now. I love pop. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, that's how uh, I became a, a rock and roller. Man, I just uh, I just got bit by the bug. You. you know, initially it was the Beatles. Yeah. Everybody saw the Beatles. Uh, I grew up Motown because we lived in a black neighborhood. I went to like 85% black high school. And so black music was, was my thing. Uh, but when I saw the Beatles, I thought, wow, that's what I want to do got reinforced when i saw the rolling stones i said yeah that's what i want to do and so i uh started combing my hair which is nappy just nappy tight hair and i started combing it down to try to be hip and stuff man i just looked like an idiot but uh nevertheless i thought i was cool there for a moment and then shortly thereafter we started the frenchie and the weewees and one of wh- the greatest garage bands you'll ever have wanted to see
0: Nice, and it's it's so different then or now and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had more people that were focused on music because yeah. you didn't have all the other, I guess you could say, distractions or options, yeah, uh, with the YouTube and everything right, else, right? But you know, your exposure was somewhat limited. Yeah. But as far as playing music mm-hmm. in in that time do you feel that the audiences were more connected to the musicians and to the acts they were watching versus now maybe
1: well it's a different kind of connection yeah. so you can't really say that they were or they weren't because it's a different sure. kind of connection because the youngsters today youngsters today they don't know that connection the folks who were of that day and are now the 50 60 70 year old people mm-hmm. They don't, a lot of them don't know of the Youngsters Connection. I've been blessed that I kind of know, you know, I mean, I, my first music was the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, along the of the 21st century. So I've been blessed to gone through a lot of different kind of music.
0: Right on. And yeah. so, so the Beatles, I mean, of course they had that major influence back then, yeah. the British invasion and yeah. all that, but... I guess it'd be safe to say that those are some of your heroes. Who were some of your other heroes growing up, and who who might you have emulated when you started playing? Uh,
1: yeah, because in the early days, you emulate until you get, uh, to use a better term, your own style yeah. or something, you know. So back then, yeah, uh, I was uh, I was into the Young Rascals. I was into uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. And so those were some of my earlier uh, emulations, shall we yeah. say And then of course you got guys like Wilson Pickett mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Jerry Butler, I love Jerry Butler uh, The Temptations and, uh, and you go from there Then, you know, music uh, After the Woodstock uh, moment turn into uh, a different Kind of uh, angle And so now all of a sudden you get Into Santana and you're getting into uh, Chicago Or Blood, Sweat and Tears Laura Nero when people ask me what's uh, the, the best album of all time, uh, I, I tell them Eli and the 13th Confession by Laura Nero. That's the best album of all time. As far as I'm concerned, there's all kinds of great albums. If I had to take uh, five albums with me on the desert yeah. island like they all, uh, always <laughs> yeah. used to do, uh-huh. you know, I'd take uh, Laura Nero, I'd take The Temptations' Greatest Hits because that has all the good music on it. Yeah, yeah. Then you, know, you might take, uh, you know, one one of the greatest hits uh, at least for me of uh, uh the young rascals that uh that kind of stuff i love the oldies because that's you know they say that uh the music that you originate on the first stuff that hits you mm-hmm. is what stays with you all your life i've been fortunate to you know uh, done lots of rocking and rolling uh, and uh, played all kinds of great music but uh i love the oldies man so Grooving on the oldies, you know.
0: Yeah, when you were, and so, so when you were a kid, we you listening to Elvis as well? Because that was like the the big period of Elvis. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I listened to Elvis, and the thing about Elvis was, what I dug about Elvis was that the guy had a command on his crowd. And when I would watch Elvis, like on Ed Sullivan or one of the other shows, the Elvis uh, specials and all uh-huh. that, what I, of course you like the music, uh, but what I always studied was the performer because uh, of two reasons number one you want to see what they're doing right but number two and not necessarily in that order uh even when i listen to djs on the radio uh watch people i would do so to make sure i was not like them because once you like somebody else what are you nothing because that guy's already been there he's already done that you're just a copycat so yeah, yeah. i always try to make sure that uh i wasn't like those guys and thus the development of a style a a delivery uh as far as on the air is concerned i've been called an idiot i've been called a a wolfman jack ripoff artist and all this (laughs) kind of stuff but i always uh i always watched and listened to make sure that i wasn't like these guys because once you like them once you like everybody else
0: yeah, and it's important. There's no
1: individuality, man. Yeah, yeah. You Got to stand out if you're gonna if you're gonna do anything.
0: Yeah, for younger bands coming up mm-hmm. or, or anybody, it's, know mm-hmm. your competition, know mm-hmm. what's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, use something that is true to yourself, but uh, is yeah. a unique view of that.
1: Now, there's nothing wrong in using a guy's style and bumping off of that down the line. Once yeah. you get what you get, a lot of people. Uh, I remember the days when uh, you were ridiculed, ridiculed because you were a quote unquote copy band uh-huh. now they call them cover bands
0: or uh, and, tribute bands is, or, is, or is, tribute is bands as they now. do oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly
1: but in, in there was an era in the uh, in the 70s when if you were doing copy tunes and you weren't doing originals you were the scourge you you were nothing you were you were nothing and uh uh one of the things that uh, i always did was mix the um copy stuff with the original stuff mm-hmm. because once you got them on a dance floor let's say yeah, yeah and dancing to their favorite temptations tune well you you don't quit you just slide into your tune and they're on the dance floor and you have a captured audience and so now all of a sudden they're dancing your tune and at the end of your tune when you stop down you say oh well, that was our song right there and thus you promote your song and uh, people buy into your song that way that was a stratagem that uh, at least i used in In those days to fight the copy band uh, malignancy, shall we say, as as it was back then.
0: Well, yeah, as long as you're mixing in some originals or you give those songs your own voice. The Beatles, you know, back to the Beatles, they were great. They're doing Chuck Berry. They're doing everybody, man. Yeah, Yeah. Little Richard songs. Yeah, exactly. Right. And just taking those songs and making them their own. Right. And just looking at their Hamburg residency and all that, man, they were really able to cut their chops. Yeah. With those, yeah. what, with like eight-hour shows or something insane. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, back yeah. back in in, in those cool.
1: days, I I tell you what, the first concert I ever went to was the Beatles, uh, September fourth, I think it was, um, nineteen sixty-four, at the Indianapolis State Fairgrounds. Right on. And uh, my mom and dad, I begged them to let me go see the Beatles because a, a group from the Jewish Community Center group of the kids were being mm-hmm. taken to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. So they okayed it because they had a chaperone and all these kids were like thirteen, fourteen years old. So I, by myself, get to join a group and go to the Beatles. And my ticket was third row on the aisle. And <laughs> yeah. I am freaking out. Number yeah, one yeah. it's the Beatles. Problem with it was back then they just used um maybe an electric voice speaker at the top with a sure column underneath it. And that was the PA of the day. Now, of course, you see all the humongous stacks and hanging from the ceilings and all that stuff. But it didn't matter because you couldn't hear them because the screaming was so loud. And this was at the raceway at at the Indianapolis Fairgrounds. And there was a dirt track between the crowd and the Beatles stage. So girls would try to bust through and run across the dirt track to jump on the Beatles and all this. And ambulances were coming to pick the out uh, the ones that had fainted and everything. But it was so loud. You couldn't even hear the Beatles, but you got to see the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. And so that was cool, man.
0: And that's why they stopped touring because they just yeah. they just they couldn't hear themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Either, yeah. It's just like how yeah. do we how do we perform at such a high right level on. with these these kind of environments right and yeah it's, amazing band just the fact all the great music they recorded yeah. in that short period of time
1: yeah exactly right i tell you uh, another great story personal opinion of course indianapolis fairgrounds coliseum and uh, i'm there i'm sitting maybe 10 rows back for the rolling stones and the beach boys if you can believe it and i was kind of pissed because uh, one of the wilson's i can't remember which one uh didn't show up but glenn campbell was introduced to the crowd, and he was playing for the Beach Boys. But this was the wildest thing. I see it in my mind's eye right now. Mick Jagger said something to that crowd that pissed them off.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, and they started throwing things, bottles at, at the stage. Now, back then, they used actual bottles for drinks. It wasn't cups. <laughs> it was bottles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they started throwing wood and chairs and, and just broken stuff. And so Mick Jagger sits on... Stage right, right there, folds his leg, crosses his leg, and bottles and everything were flying at him, and nothing touched him. It was astounding. <laughs> it was astounding. Oh, and wow. uh, I love the Stones just because of their brashness and everything, yeah. and uh, of course, great rock and roll. Uh, I'm a, a melody type of guy, I like yeah, yeah. melodies, you know? And then you put the lyrics on top of the melodies and you know your leads and all that kind of stuff. But I've been fortunate that... Uh, Uh, I got to see uh, a lot of bands in my time. I'll never forget, man, the uh, Northside Armory in Indianapolis. Back then, uh, gutters were actual metal and not just little tiny aluminum things, you Uh, know? I mean, it was actual, like, steel or whatever they were. So it was Jethro Tull and, yes, I didn't have any money. (laughs) And so, guys, we, we got to the Northside Armory and we saw people climbing up the steel gutter up the side of the building because it went right by the bathroom window okay. and somebody had opened up yeah, the yeah. bathroom window and everybody was sneaking in and we got in to see yes and jethro tull that was magnificent then you know you take it to a more modern era i uh luckily was a dc 101 in washington dc at the time and and we got to see all all the 80s groups, you know, yeah. all the way from the hair bands to Huey Lewis and the News to, you know, Blackie Lawless, all, all those kind of guys, man. We got to see them all. It was... Uh It was magnificent. It was just great to be a part of all that.
0: Yeah. At at what point did you you decide to become (laughs) a DJ? I brought up Blackie Lawless. I have no idea. (laughs) Part of history is part of that that heavy metal history and rock and roll. But yeah, Yeah. that's cool, man. Uh, At what point did you decide to become a DJ? Or is that something that just kind of came to you? Oh, yeah. I was a pretty
1: well-known guy in Indianapolis off the band. uh, Roadmaster, pure funk. And um, so one night, they used to have celebrity DJ night on Fridays at WNAP radio. WNAP supported us and helped make us as far as uh, album and music uh, was concerned back in that era. Mm -hmm. They always helped local music back then. I don't think they do that too much anymore. But they they helped local music back then, the radio stations did. So um, they invited me because I was a personality in town, just like they would invite one of the Indiana Pacers or the mayor or Indianapolis 500 driver to bring your own records and oh, play whatever cool. you want. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Really so cool. I brought a big uh, back then. There was Peaches as a record store, and you got yeah. Peaches crates, and you put all your albums on uh, in the crate. And so I did what I did in, in the band. I talked to the crowd, told a joke. Yeah, yeah. Played a song. Told a joke. Played a song. Told a joke. Played a song. Instead of having a band behind me doing that, I did it with a record. And so I just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Tuesday, the following Tuesday, they called me and said, uh, listen, and I tell you what, man, they came in, they showed me how to run the board, uh, how to do all the electronics. And I didn't pay attention to them, but I was acting like I was, but I didn't pay attention because I thought, well, they're not going to leave me in here by myself. There's going to be somebody running, yeah, yeah. running this stuff uh-huh. for me. And sure enough, they left me by myself and, uh, and everything it yeah. was is raucous. It was magnificent. It was the raw, and uh, they liked it, and they offered me a job on that uh, following Tuesday.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah, and
1: back then we, you know, we we're trying to be rock stars, get our album sold, and all that kind of stuff. Band was transitioning, and um, so I thought, you know, we go all around the Midwest trying to sell this album, trying to sell our music, and uh, we're making fifty bucks a piece by the time we're done, you know, paying everything yeah, and all yeah. that. And they offered, they offered me 90 bucks a week. And yeah. I thought, are you kidding me? I don't have to go nowhere. I can be right here and make 90 bucks a week as opposed to 50 bucks a week. So I said, okay, I took it. And I started Midnight to Six on WNAP over there. And uh, that's how I started my radio career, just off, off of that.
0: And that had to be... I mean, to me, that seems like an amazing time because you're you have your own sensibilities of mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. your own taste, things that you dig, things that you want to yeah. share. And to be able to do that, to me, it seems like a great time where and now I think with satellite radio and podcasting that's right. coming back. Yeah. But as far as terrestrial radio, it's now the the corporate playlist mm-hmm. and it's the same songs. And granted, yeah. I love Yes as well. Uh, Rush all those but i don't want to hear the same well, yes yeah, song you know loner of a uh owner of a lonely heart correct. you know every every day you know because yes has some deep cuts Rush, has, all these bands have some just amazing know. songs that people don't even realize because they only know like stairway
1: yeah exactly you right know? it's the same with That's, the beatles man yeah all these guys do is they play hey jude all the time yeah. it's like come on man how many great Beatles songs? Are there? How many great Rolling Stones songs out there? Why don't you play somebody like Delbert McClinton on the rockin' side? You know, there's so many different artists
0: out there. Yeah, mix that, up some of those artists, exactly, uh, some more obscure, man. or or you know, try to break some new yeah. artists, that next right. generation, or you know, play some of them deep cuts. of yeah. people like, whoa, I never, I know. you know, this blows me away. I mean, yeah. well, one of my personal favorites is Sammy, Sammy Hagar. Yep, and he had, and of course, you have, uh, you know. uh, Oh, there's only one way to rock heavy yeah, metal right i mean great songs but yep. man some of his deeper cuts yeah oh man it's so good it really I know. I, to me it touches my soul i know and a lot of people may not you know think that like sammy hagar yeah, yeah he just has uh i can't drive 55 but some of his deeper songs when he gets in the spiritual side of life yeah man yeah for me i love it i love it so. i got a
1: good sammy story real quick right on i, I worked at mtv for a little while and uh you never know who's watching you. Yeah. So I moved to St. Louis. I'm doing my first show at Casey at the old arena and it's Van Halen and I'm introducing Van Halen. So I go down before the show and I walk into their dressing room and they start screaming, Oh my God, the smash. Nice. They had watched me on, uh, on MTV. Sammy jumps into my arms and I'm holding him like a firefighter, <laughs> fighter uh, carrying somebody. <laughs> And we became uh, friends uh, after that, man, just off of that, you know? That's awesome. It's funny because you don't know who's watching. And that also includes who's out in that audience watching you. It also includes who's out on that audience listening to you, out in their car, whatever the case may Mm -hmm. be. So you always got to put on an entertainment value. You may not be an entertainer. You may be a storyteller. You may not be an entertainer. You're more of a a rapper, shall we say. But what you got to understand is you got to hold one's interest. And that's what entertainment is. It's the holding of one's interest it's not about yuckity yuck 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 hardy har 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 all that kind of stuff it's the holding of one's mm-hmm. interest and, and the guys who get that are usually the guys who excel in the business
0: yeah no doubt man that's that's cool that's a great story and it, I've, and have then, man that was i mean i followed sammy you know, my neighbors yeah i was fortunate my neighbors always like hey, i don't like. what do you listen to and was yeah. like they would throw something out they'd test me they'd give me multiple choice yeah. and uh, at the time they're like okay and they would say like it's like a more, true or false, or that I'd answer. They say BGS, you know, like cool or not? Uh, no. Yeah. Although now I appreciate the BGS. Yeah, definitely. But, but they were more like you know the burnout types, jean jackets. Well, Van they were Halen. part of the disco thing too, man. And disco
1: yeah. got really pummeled back in that day. Yeah, yeah. After it had its initial uh, success and everything, I did the first uh, TV interview with uh, Guns and Roses. In uh, shoot I can't remember when it was it was 1987 I think it was and um, they just released Appetite for Destruction I think it Mm -hmm. was so I go to the producer to my boss I say this is the last day for the set because they were going to tear down the set and put up a new um, Headbangers Ball set Mm because I was a host of Headbangers Ball and so I said what if we did this let these guys tear down this set and just busted up like rock and rollers in that day we're doing to motel rooms and everything Uh like that. And so that's a great idea. He went to a a bigger guy, bigger guy comes back. So Steve Leeds, who was my boss comes to me and says, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. You tell the guys that that it's some cue that they just take (laughs) it and destroy it. So if you go to uh, MTV headbangers ball, uh, set destruction, yeah, uh, you'll you'll see the whole thing, man, and and it was magnificent. Rolling Stone magazine wrote it up as one of the top forty because top forty was a music term back then. One of the top forty greatest moments in MTV history, and. uh and the thing about it was, this is another nutty thing because so I'm talking to Axel ahead of time, and I, I'm not saying they were, but I'm swearing that, that these guys were probably like stoned out of there. <laughs> I think, but, they,
0: according to their history, I think they
1: probably were. Yeah. So uh, anyway, he's from West Lafayette, Indiana. No, oh no shit, wow. And, and he used to come and watch our band. and He told me stories about me. That is awesome. Oh, I was freaking <laughs> man. I was freaking, oh. and then uh, you know they became guns and roses and yeah. as big as they they were and everything so i've just been blessed to have been in situations i i uh when i was working at mtv i, I had to they brought Cher in they said smash you got a babysitter kid man we don't know what to do with <laughs> elijah blue she brought elijah blue with, uh-huh. her. and so me and elijah blue played uh, pinball for about an hour and a half over there and i just talked to him about uh about stuff so it's yeah. different kinds of uh uh, lifestyle moments that uh, I got to participate That's in cool. that were thrown uh, yeah. to me that uh, were magnificent.
0: And how did that Headbangers Ball gig come about? In, uh, I think it's 1981,
1: 82, I got a call from a guy named Bob Pittman. He uh, and another fellow, Jarl Mon, who now, Yarl runs uh, uh, PBS. Uh, these are the two guys who started up MTV. Uh, the nuts and bolts of MTV. Mm-hmm. So I get a call from Bob Pittman. I said, we've seen, uh, you know, some of your video work because I used to be an entertainment reporter in Indianapolis on TV over there. And uh, we would like you to come up and uh, maybe be a part of this team of video jocks that we're putting together. I had just signed a contract two months earlier with uh, DC 101, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm not a guy who walks out on, on his contract. And so he said, okay, cool if you're ever free contact us and so when i decided to leave dc about the six years later something like that um i called mtv and said i'm available i got uh, i got about a s- six month period between the departure from dc 101 to the arrival uh at hot 97 in new york which was owned by Emmis, who also owned Casey in St. Mm -hmm. Louis. So I call MTV. He said, we don't have anything right now. However, we need a substitute. And we don't know how long it's going to be, but we need a substitute for the departure of Mark Goodman and the arrival of Adam Curry. Mm -hmm. So that wound up to be a six-week period, but I wound up uh, working there for about six months before I went to Hot 97 Mm -hmm. in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Owned by Emmis. Emmis calls me three days before I'm supposed to start on Hot 97. We're having some trouble in St. Louis. Um, J.C. Corquin has left us. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, he's kicking our ass over at KSD. (laughs) Would you think about coming to St. Louis to take on this? And uh, uh, J.C. is a friend of mine. We worked together at DC 101. And I thought, oh, man. (laughs) But I thought to myself, you know, Hot 97 is an urban station. I love black music, grew up Mm -hmm. in a black community and all that kind of stuff. was accepted by the black community. But I've been a rock and roller (laughs) for all this time. And so we had just had two little babies. Indianapolis uh, is five hours uh, from St. Louis. So we could go see the grandparents anytime. Mm -hmm. New York's a different story. So. Uh, I decided to go for the Rock and Roller because Casey at that time was a humongous oh, monolith yeah. of a rock and roll radio station. Yeah. I guess it still is. And um, and so I left uh, New York to come on to St. Louis and mm-hmm. uh, turned out to be magnificent because the radio wars between me and JC were were just stunning as far as uh, broadcasting is concerned. Because as good as he is as a broadcaster made me have to be a better broadcaster because that guy is sharp, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can say anything you want about him and what he does and all that stuff, but from the level of the professional capability of delivering the message on the air, the guy's one of the sharpest uh, that I've ever seen, so I had to get sharp. And uh, luckily, sometimes uh, we were able to beat him, and sometimes he was able to beat us, and that ran for about six years, man, that, that war. That was fantastic.
0: And so that was 88 you came to town?
1: Came to town in '88. I was here in '87 studying the market. They had me. I lived at the Double Tree in Chesterfield for uh-huh. about two months. Okay. And then I started up in January of '88.
0: And then how? Where was Casey located at that point? Were they still uh, at that in time?
1: Y- they were at U- Union Station. Oh, okay. Uh, so I never knew moved. the Casey of the uh, out there on.
0: Uh, you know, web, or that was a uh, Crestwood. In Crestwood, yeah, right. yeah. Right, so right, the window, right. you you don't have any stories uh, I don't have any from window the windows, no. <laughs> No. Uh, but but how was Casey in that era? I mean I mean that was when I was really listening listening to Keishey. Yeah. That was uh you know, I went into the Navy in ninety three. So that was uh yeah, I was listening to it during the the oh, wars yeah. with you and JC. Mm-hmm. But but how was Casey at that time?
1: Well Casey uh initially uh committed a, in my opinion as a professional, uh a grave error in that upon the departure of J C they called me and asked me if I'd come to to work then and i said no because i was flourishing in dc plus i was working afternoons and i didn't want to wake up at three in the morning to do a morning show yeah yeah and uh uh, smash band dc was a monster in in the market so i didn't want to throw none of that away so year and a half later this is when they came to get me to come on because they had signed me to go to hot 97 but in that year and a half they hired an AC, Adult Contemporary Team, out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I thought to myself, this is gonna be a total loss for these these guys at Casey, because these guys are adult contemporary, they're soft rock. And that kind of uh, humor don't go with a rock and roll crowd. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, a year and a half later, like I said, uh, they wanted me to transfer from New York to come here. To, to St. Louis and uh, I took it and Casey at that particular point in time was uh, in a falter but it still had its base and as long as you have your base you can build a foundation on the base once that base is cracked or base is gone or base sinks mm-hmm. it's tough to build a foundation you have to rebuild the base so we we're able to take that base that rock and roll community and the beauty of it uh, was was that those rock and rollers that love Casey also kind of took, had a liking of JC because JC was their leader for a long, long time. And yet I came in and when I came in, I applied a different delivery than people were used to. If I kind of did a show like JC, then all of a sudden I'm a copycat. I'm out of here in six months and nobody going to accept me. But I started the, this uh, smash thing with the morning zoo brothers And uh, we created uh, an audience on top of that base, an audience of rock and rollers, rock and roll mindset. We did rock and roll lifestyle type of stuff. And uh, we were able to put on a competitive show against KSD. And the beauty of it is, anybody knows the business, both stations got to flourish in this because Mm -hmm. they were rolling in in the money from the advertisers because of the war. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Letterman, uh, Jay Leno, Tonight Show Yeah, same type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Same type of thing. And uh, then when it was all over, um, I decided to quit. I didn't like uh, a new boss that they had brought in. He was an ogre, and uh, I don't bust my back for nobody. to be treated like a piece of crap. So I left. I hear you. I walked. Uh, When my contract ended, I upheld my contract. And uh, uh, me and JC went back to being friends. It's almost like (laughs) I was big with (laughs) professional wrestlers for a long time. Yeah, yeah. uh, and it's, it's just like Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant. They, you know, wrestle in a ring and they go have a beer afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Same type of thing, you know? So,
0: so it was a work. The the war was a bit of a work.
1: The, the war was a, was that real? The war was real. Yeah. Oh, JC yeah. didn't talk to me at all for six oh, years. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Oh yeah. That was, that was, uh, <laughs> oh. that was fun. That was, that was fun though, because I'm a little bit older than all those guys. And I've seen a few things that uh, allowed me to, uh, just do some things that yeah. uh, would irk them, <laughs> so that all they do is talk about me. That yeah. included Stephen DC. I love you guys, and uh,
0: so you were, so, you were pushing the buttons. You were getting that, and they were getting <laughs> the yeah. more they would you would push their buttons, and they would have things to say about you. The more yeah. you elevated your status, yeah, nice, it's beautiful. You get that reputation. You get you you that street cred.
1: You can't get better publicity than your opponent mm. talking you up, man.
0: That is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> very it was great. smart. Love it. It's very great. And in those days, were you able to play the records you wanted, or was that the days where they start they gave you a playlist? How, how uh, was that working? In, then in,
1: initially, there's a playlist, but we were able to bump off the playlist sure. if we wanted to. Okay, uh, because we were a morning show as opposed to a, a radio format, and so we played off the format. The format being rock and roll, yeah. but if we wanted to go. Uh, a little bit deeper because Ozzy was our guest. Then we'd play an hour's worth of Ozzy. Cool. Shall we yeah, say. Yeah. So he had that and we knew our music back then. me, you man, uh, you know, everybody associated with that show. Uh, we knew our music and so we picked killer songs. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's pretty amazing. You know, speaking about you, man, I mean, that's pretty amazing. This guy, a great guy, you know, mm-hmm. I talked to him a lot when I worked down at, at, at the Bush stadium when uh-huh. I worked up in the press box. But, uh, that that's pretty amazing. A guy that has gone his whole career at one station.
1: Yeah, well, I'm that's uh, that's called adaptability. Yeah, yeah. Because good <laughs> stuff happens, bad stuff happens, yeah. and you man uh, knows how to adapt. And uh, others, <laughs> like you know, I don't know. I heard a guy once say, "I don't uh, break my back for nobody. It'd be treated like a piece of crap." Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I think I heard that too. Yeah. So uh, uh, anyway, you know, that's to be marvelled at. Yeah. Especially in in the radio business, that is to be marvelled at. Uh, I don't think you see that too much anymore. It's mm-hmm. a different era now. And, uh, you know, we we of that era uh, were some of the last guys to really see a beauty in radio that mm-hmm. is is gone now, but it's changed, so it's a different kind of beauty. And if you understand the new beauty, then you can, you know, go on with a career in that. But uh, we, we had a, a kind of beauty that... Uh, that really really promoted great rock and roll and uh allowed us to do things that nowadays the youngsters uh can't do because of the political correctness plague that is going uh yeah, yeah. through this country.
0: Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a de- definitely different times. And listening to yeah. the radio then uh well as far as w- one when I first was really listening to She was, you know, I was working at a Casa Guiardo. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. that restaurant. I, I loved it, loved it. Right. So that was my, my first job where I was paying taxes where, oh, I, yeah. where I actually worked, worked for the man, sort of say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's this guy, we call him downtown Tom Brown. But, I uh, remember
1: it, Tom Brown.
0: Yeah, so Tom yeah. Brown would busser Casa, good, great dude. Yeah, that's right. And he'd be listening. He listened to Casey all the time. Yes, he did. I remember. All right, and so I used to think, and he would like call the songs out. And before yeah. that was before I had an understanding of radio. Yeah. And I'm thinking like Tom Brown is is psychic i mean yeah. he knows what the songs they're playing yeah. it was before i realized the playlist and all that but yeah. and at that time there were still cool songs and they were still breaking right you know at that time it was like rush roll the bones so that was like mm. my introduction to to rush hearing right. that album and then i would go back to the back catalog right. and queensrike and just yeah you know bands that those were you know bands that yeah. i really was at the time was really <laughs> embracing <laughs> you know i enjoyed right. and it was it, and then it wasn't until i realized when i was uh I went into the Navy, and then there was uh and I, I can't remember. It was a, a oh, what was a W? Uh, it was a, Tommy and the Bull. I don't know if you knew who those guys no, were, but that that was their morning show guys. Oh, yeah. And so, um, oh man, now it's going to kill me trying to think of what the what the call letters for that station. But that was yeah. their big station. That was their casey. city? Uh, it was uh, Norfolk, Virginia. I was going to say it was Norfolk. I know it was like you, WFMU what you're talking about. or something like that.
1: I know what you're talking about.
0: And uh, and it was kind of cool that uh, being away from home for the first time, you know, I had a radio station that sounded like yeah. the radio station right I up. listened to back at home. So, right it was, and and I get the playlist elements yeah. there, but and it, it was cool hearing them what they did. They did a lot of parody songs and things mm-hmm. like that, and it was very comforting, mm-hmm. and uh, which which allows me to segue into you know I get out of the navy, I'm listening to the you know at that point I think you were gone at that point. I think mm-hmm. that was like, that was 95 and so, 95 is when I left. Yeah. So that was a year you left, but yeah. I still listened to you man and all that. And yeah. some of the great parody songs, which, mm-hmm. which leads me to segue into, mm-hmm. you know, my friend Craig talk, Craig Hawksley. I love him. And the things that he was doing, were you yeah. involved? Was that a time where well, you yeah. guys were working together on those parody songs?
1: I'd have to say the, one of the greatest things that, uh, I was ever, uh, able to create, co-create was a song called Nights at White Castle. (laughs)
0: Yes, that was on my mind.
1: So (laughs) U-Man comes up with the the title. And uh, (laughs) uh, me and Hawk go downstairs to our our show office, and we write, me and him, the actuality of the words to Nights at White Castle. Uh, Then about a week later, uh, they produce it. I was on the air. I was running the air. So they produced it uh, and turned it into just a masterpiece man it was it was an audio masterpiece reason being production was magnificent at brown and his production crew but you could and in those days radio was a lot about theater of the mind yeah yeah and you could actually see this stuff going on in white castle that you were <laughs> hearing on the uh on the radio yeah, right there yeah. and uh and uh, I'll never forget getting calls from White Castle. They want to hear it and uh, all that kind of stuff. And it was a touch of trouble, but we got a, a away with the showing that it was a lifestyle type of thing. And so we got to got to play it. And that that for me, I'd have to say, as far as all the parody songs that uh, I, I've been associated with writing, that I did write myself, uh, that song with Craig Hawksley and You and Man, that was the masterpiece of my time at least Mm -hmm. I i loved that and hawk man hawk that's one of the funniest dudes around man and the great thing about him was he had a creativity to his mind that was not only able to be built for the long run but also boom like that if you needed something just real quick you could always count on hawk to land the correct kind of punchline you know
0: that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's one thing, and I, I, I didn't really until after college, really get into the music yeah. scene. I always loved listen, listen, to records, listen to the radio. You know, back in the eighties, it was like taping the songs off the radio with a cassette tape. You know, yeah, at my grandmother's right. house. So right, though, right, those right. days, it was you know that was yeah. just a marvelous childhood with that. Yeah. Listening to, uh, like Queen in those days, like yeah. 84, and it was just, yeah, it was just amazing, you know, hearing those songs. It was just radio, yeah, to me, was just, yeah, it was just, it I was just to, magical. I don't know how to, magical. I don't
1: know how the kids get, uh, touched by the songs, but those songs of that era yeah. you're talking about, and, and a little bit backward, a little bit forward, those songs, they touched you. They touched you, yeah. You know, sometimes you get a, a song and, uh, I'll never forget listening to an album. Sometimes you wouldn't get past the first song for a day or two because the first song was so bad. Badass is what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So bad that it was so good that you couldn't get past it. And uh, you'd sometimes listen for a day or two or three to just one song until you were able to get past it. It's like going to a restaurant and you order the same thing every time Uh you go in and maybe one day you'll be able to uh, get past it, you know?
0: Yeah, and, I'm, and i I enjoy listening to albums i i like to just experience the concept that that artist was putting out and when you're listening to an album and looking at history yeah it gives you a good idea what's going on in history yeah and that was i don't know did you watch the vietnam war documentary the ken burns piece
1: i watched pieces of it yeah
0: i mean it's it's a tough watch especially growing up in that era and i saw it at least on tv and and but knowing guys that you know guys you went to school with were over there so i mean that's that's that closeness. Yeah. Uh, where now of course we have that any any kind of conflict you go yeah. through, you know, you have that closeness because of the people that you're with. And it but this watching that documentary, it gave me a new perspective mm-hmm. of, of the music. Yes. Because a lot of those songs right. I've heard bits and pieces over the years. Yeah. But never in that context. And uh in that time period. Yeah. So by listening to those, it was like, oh, I heard this song before I heard this song, but hearing them all together, it's like, wow. <laughs> right. Just, up. you know, mind blown. And right. Just, up. You know, and it's a better understanding of what those artists were trying to say. Yeah. When they were creating those songs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I still like albums and looking at the year. Mm-hmm. What was going I know enough. I'm enough of a history buff. Uh, where I go, oh yeah, that year that was going on, and then who else was playing then, and maybe what influence did they have the yeah. next year because of this, you know, album from the the previous year. Yeah. So to me, I find that's just a fascinating aspect in looking at the history yeah. of music.
1: Well, one of the great things about the music of that era is there's a longevity that we didn't see back then, and it's the music all the way to you know seventy, eighty, ninety mm-hmm. year olds. I do this uh, bit that some people think it was funny. I thought it was funny, but it's kind of like okay, we got great songs like Rush, like The Temptations, like The Beatles, whatever. But the youngsters of today, what what would they, when they are fifty, sixty, seventy years old, be be listening to? I like big butts, and I cannot lie. It'd be, <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like well, that has a social impact in its own way too, you know. So. You can't uh, argue preference, and uh, you know. So whatever somebody's getting off on uh, on music, whether it be this era, whether it be mm-hmm. the next era, you know, they don't know the temptations these youngsters. But boy, what they do know, they love, and that's what music's always been is about love. True, yeah, you know?
0: the connection. Yeah, exactly. that energy. Right. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. that's why I've always loved it. Yeah, and uh, I got a great music story for you. Man. All, right, it all, right, all right, throw it out there. Throw it out there.
1: So uh, I had gotten a sheet. Uh, was maybe Casey two months and I had become friends with Eddie money. Eddie money was, uh, I love Eddie money. <clears throat> oh, do you? Man, okay. I love Eddie money. Eddie money was uh big in Washington DC, especially yeah. the Eastern seaboard because he went up and down the Eastern seaboard. So we used to have him in DC one-on-one all the time. I became friends with him. He's, uh, getting ready to come to a, uh, concert in St. Louis. And so he's doing an early morning interview with, uh, The morning show, me, you, man, and so he says at the end of the thing, he says whatever he said, and and at the end of the thing, he he says, "Smash, can I say hi to some people?" Sure, no problem, Ed. Go right ahead. So now, I'm new to St. Louis, so I don't really recognize all the names because I don't know everything. But I'm thinking, what is that money? He knows. So he he goes on and he says Bob and Sue and do 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 and Billy's uh, cleaners and Bobby's tire shop and name, starts naming all these uh, businesses and everything. <laughs> and at the end of it, at the end of it, he says, "Kansas City, I love you." Oh, <laughs> I said, oh my God. <laughs> This is St. Louis. Oh, smash! I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it was hilarious, man. <laughs> it was hilarious. But that was classic Eddie Money right there. Because the guy was out playing all night. Yeah. Who knows how uh, liquefied and or yeah. stoned he got. Yeah. And then he had to wake up at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning to do a, uh, a radio interview. A lot, a lot of those guys, golly, I'll never forget, man. Sam Kinison became a good friend of mine. And uh, I'll never forget. <laughs> Sam did a show. He was coming on our show the next morning. He was at the Fox Theater. I said, Sam, it's like 11 o'clock already, man. Are you going to be all right to come on the show? Oh, yeah, Smash, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. And, and I said, okay, I'm going to come pick you up at, uh, you know, like 5.30, and then we're going to go on, and we'll be on as soon as we get in. He says, uh, I pick him up. He says, you mind if I uh, have a little breakfast? I thought, oh, okay, we'll go get yeah. some pancakes or something to go. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'll find uh, IHOP or something like that. He said, no, man, I brought breakfast. I said, no <laughs> And so I was driving a pickup truck at the, uh, in those years. And so he has this spleef, I'd say maybe about eight inches long, rolled up tight, and he uh, he lights it up in my car, and I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, <laughs> I do a lot of work with the police, and I'm yeah. thinking, oh, no, I'm um, going to get busted. And, and we got to the station. Now, I didn't imbibe. However, the secondhand effects of the smoke in the closed <laughs> car in the middle of winter... I was stoned too. Yeah. And uh, so uh, that was uh, pretty funny to see that the guy could use that to enhance his level of um, comedic sense. And he was just as funny, if not funnier, stoned than uh, at least we thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Then he was uh, up on the stage. And maybe he was on the stage stoned, but golly, it was, uh, I'll never forget, he invited me to come to Vegas. Because he's getting ready to do a show, yeah. and uh, and that was the the trip that uh, he he wound up in a car crash and everything oh, and man. died and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, that was wild. But one of the great things, especially Casey, is as much of an um, impact as Casey had on music. At least being in our spot and in the in the Midwest, you know, we got to meet a lot of people. Yeah. The same thing with DC One Hundred One. I've been blessed that I've been able to work at some of the biggest uh, rock and roll radio stations in the country in its era, at least, you know? And so uh, WNAP was like that. I was at Kiss 99 in Indianapolis. Uh, DC 101 was my only station in in DC. And then, uh, uh, you know, coming here to Casey, man, that was fantastic. And then, uh, then uh, KLOU was a big station for uh, Mm -hmm. its type of oldies, you know, that's when oldies were transitioning from the true oldies of the 50s and 60s to the new oldies of the late 60s into the late 70s. That uh, That's when that transition started uh, being. And now you see eagles as oldies? That is the wildest thing, that's man. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, but hey, you know, you got to appeal to uh, your crowd as you need to appeal to your crowd because it comes down to one thing. Yeah, you can be a, as as much a genius to the music as uh, someone, let's say, like a Radio Rich is.
0: He's a genius to the music.
1: But you also got to bring in money because it's a business of money. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, the call letters, K-S-H-E in this case, and and guys like Radio Rich were were able to be true to their genius and yet at the same time be able to bring forth the commerciality and the funding success Mm -hmm. that uh, needed to be had to keep the radio station uh, rolling. And so I've just uh, have been a blessed guy. One of the things that I used to do in, in D.C. and here was a thing called the Smash Adult Party Games. The Smash Adult Party Games were just raucous, sexual uh, type of uh, games. Nobody like, went naked or not, something like that, but I mean... Uh, a little racy. They, they were racy to the, yeah. to the max, but they worked <laughs> huge, and we used to draw yeah. huge crowds to pops and to anywhere that, that we would do that. And uh, another promotional vehicle that uh, I was able to put forth is Smash Band. Smash Band uh, in D.C. rocked the nation's capital. Yeah. And then I brought Smash Band here after I had left Casey. When I came back onto St. Louis Radio, uh, I had to have something else because I didn't want to do the, the nasty stuff anymore. I had gotten saved and, yeah. uh, so I, I kind of wanted to be true to my salvation, shall we say. Right on. Yeah. And yet at the same time I had to rock. Uh-huh. And so I thought, you know, they, meaning St. Louis has never seen me, uh, with a rock and roll band. And so we put together a smash band and in, uh, on new year's Eve, 1997 leading to 1998, uh, we did our first gig and smash band rolled after that. We got to do all yeah. kinds of great gigs and we do 12 years with the, uh, with the St. Louis Rams as the official party band for the Rams. We played for 100,000 people at the Super Bowl party. So now, uh, you know, it's uh, great to, at my age of 68 years uh, old, to just be able to settle back and do smash band. That's fantastic. Because I would have never thought when I was a kid starting my first band that at 68 years of age, I'd still be in a rock and roll Uh band it's the wildest thing man so I've been blessed with good stuff and
0: and and that's cool I I did this piece called it's a hard rock life and one uh of the guys my friend Paul Schaffern he uh that's one of the things he had said I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll send you a link to it I don't know if I've shown it to you but uh that's what he says one of his quotes he's like when i was a kid i could have never imagined yeah. at 50 you know that i'd be in yeah. one band yeah. versus four bands and, yeah. you know yeah. you know take that dork right and it's just you know and he's just like really passionate about it and just yeah. still loves playing that's his mm-hmm. you know that's his solace right on and let me ask a, you a quick question Matt.
1: this uh stuff that you're doing with podcasts and all that kind of stuff, man. That's kind of like the new way to, to, to get out there. Uh, How did you get into it? And, and I mean, you, you go to the podcast site and it's like, you got all these like interesting people on there and it's a nice way to listen in your car because you can hook it straight up into your car. It's a nice way to lean back and, and enjoy something more than the ordinary because you got people on there from all kinds of walks of life, man, and and they got something to say too, man. I just thought it was cool, your podcast and all that. Yeah, thank stuff.
0: you. And it was one of those things with video. I, yeah. I've always tried to help people out. I mean, there's a lot of interesting, just amazing yeah. people that are passionate about what they do yeah. that are out there in this world, and it's like, man, I want to see, you know, see, you know, see you yeah. get some more exposure and this and that, right. but with the video, it's just so many resources yeah, and it sure. takes up so much time yeah and i was listening to the eddie trump podcast with sammy mm-hmm. and i'm thinking like you know it would, it would be really cool to have a conversation with sammy hagar because yeah. i've i've listened to his music for so many years my neighbor my aforementioned neighbors were like hey listen to this album and it was yeah. like they'd you know give me three lock box and oh, i yeah. go listen to that vinyl right and i'm like wow this is this is cool yeah and uh and then when he joined van halen and so yeah sammy hagar was you know, for me, was that guy that I just like, wow, his music. I love listening to his albums. And he just, I, you know, to me, I, I think he's always a guy that's doing different things. And mm-hmm. he's mixing it up. And I'm thinking like, wow, you know, and I'm having this conversation in my head with Sammy Hagar talking about some of his some of his music, some of his tracks, some of yeah. the tracks that um, that some people probably never even heard of. Yeah. That just to me, that touched my soul. There's a song called A Deeper Kind of Love. Mm-hmm. It just touches my soul and uh it was i'm having that conversation it's like you know what let me start a podcast yeah and and have conversations with different people and maybe one day i can build it up and i'll have a you know can have a conversation with sammy yeah and so uh you ever I, watch
1: his tv show the I, one where he drives across the country and does all kinds of i stuff? have
0: not yet
1: i can't remember the name of the show but it is it, killer it's a rock and roll road trip. killer yeah. there you are yeah killer
0: yeah, and, and I had one point in time where, you know, I'm a loyal guy. We talked about that yep. that loyalty where with a good friend of mine we were going to see Van Halen when they did the reunion tour in two thousand five. And there was an earlier incident where I had an extra ticket and invited another friend who I had to pick yeah. up and it just was one of those situations that just strained the other right. friendship. And I, you know, missed the opening set Jimmy Eat World, which I love that band. And so at that point, I get a call for freelance and my friend says, uh, oh, you know, are you going to, you know, basically it's one of those situations where I don't want to leave my friend hanging. Like, what if the freelance goes late? We already had that situation with the other concert. And so I come back to the shop where we're working, where I was going to work, the Mm -hmm. the freelance gig, Mm -hmm. and my friend worked there full time. And uh, the guys come back in from the job plenty early and they're like, oh, yeah, man, we work with Sammy Hagar today. And I'm just uh, like, oh, man, it's just like my heart <laughs> was is broken. And oh, right. and he and he left tickets for us at will call and this and that. And my heart's right. like, oh, you know, I know uh, yeah. we, we have our tickets. And I don't think any of those guys went to the show, had any interest, and I should have just, I'm an honorable guy, but I should have thought, you know what, hey, are any of you guys going to use these tickets? Because if not- Of course you should have. Let's go take those. But yeah, I'm just kind of, eh, I didn't do it. Righto. And that was one of those situations where, like, son of a gun, I could have just, I could have been able to interact with the guy. He was, they said, oh, he's so cool, man. That guy was so, and every other word out of his mouth, it was like, you know, when he wasn't on camera, it was the F word, but- but what a, what a great guy, yeah. you know? So I'm just like someone that I, and maybe it's one of those situations that when you meet your idols that, uh, you know, it's, it's not yeah. a good thing. But uh, but so, yeah, that was one of those things. And then I just know so many amazing people. And uh, so- well, that's like, what I see when you look at the, your, yeah, your podcast
1: yeah. list and all these people, it's like, I don't necessarily know who these people are, but there's an amazingness to all this because some, you know, just because I worked in the music business- I ain't no better than nobody else, man. Everybody's got a story, you know, man. So I salute you. I'm, I'm pulling stories, man. And, and
0: that's and that's part of that's from my tagline: names you've never heard, conversations yeah. you'll never forget. That's right. That's good. Uh, and with that, though, I you know I realize that to build it, you have to. Some people may say, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know this guy, and they may not take the chance to to yeah. get to know them. Right. So hopefully, at some point, I can pepper in some names that they mm-hmm. do know, or maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some names that they may not know, but that other people know, like uh, um, Kenny Aronoff, who Mellencamp, I love Kenny, guy, Kenny I, I would love to I, chat with him and just <clears throat> talk music with him or hear his stories. Yeah. Kenny,
1: yeah. Uh, Kenny, we we had our rock and roll bands in Bloomington because we all went to IU, Indiana did, University.
0: Did Kenny go to IU or he just joined Mellencamp with? I knew him at IU. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He used to play in, right. in the early days of what's called Jazz Fusion. He played in this Jazz Fusion nice. band. And we played rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the funny part about it is Kenny went away. We never heard of the Jazz Fusion uh, anymore. But now comes Mellencamp in the picture. I used yeah. to be Mellencamp's booking agent.
0: No doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, and uh, so now Kenny comes back up uh, with Mellencamp. Kenny, I love Kenny, man. Kenny and me, whenever he, he would come to a town to do a drum uh, seminar, or wherever it is, uh, you know, we'd all, and uh, of course... Melon Camp, man. I got some good Melon Camp stories, man. Uh, <clears throat> I, I'll, I'll never forget Melon Camp. <laughs> he was playing at Scott Trade Center and he had just recently had a heart attack. And, uh, you know, they told him, quit smoking. Oh,
0: man. He was like, that guy, from what I hear, is just a change in the chimney.
1: All right. So I go backstage because I always go backstage and, to see him. And so Elaine was his wife at the time. So I'm coming down the hall to the dressing room Mm -hmm. i'm coming down the hall at the end of the hall is elaine so i walk into the edge right here and around the corner is Mellencamp uh walking on a treadmill and so i look at elaine and she rolls her eyes (laughs) all right i didn't say a word to her she just rolled her eyes and i come around the corner and there's Mellencamp on a treadmill smoking a cigarette (laughs) okay (laughs) this guy is nuts and, you know, he cusses and carries on like uh, we all do in, in our own individualistic fashions. And uh, and uh, he, that's what he was doing. But, oh, Elaine was, the, the look on Elaine's face was crazy. Mellencamp at Riverport. So I go back to see Mellencamp and out comes his uh, front person. He said, John will, John will see you just, uh, you know, be quiet as you go into the room. So I go into the room and it is pitch black except for some candles around the corner. Uh-huh. I go in the middle of the room, and he's getting a massage in the middle of the room with in this dark room. Yeah, and he looks up, you know, laying on his stomach, looks up at me. And I look down at him. Now we're just a couple of hillbillies from Indiana, and I'm looking down at him, and he's getting <laughs> a massage before the concert. He just started laughing out loud, and I said, "I'll just see you after the show, man." And so we we, we just laugh because of the fact that. In reality, we're just hillbillies from Indiana. <laughs> and uh, this guy gets to uh, have massages before his concert. But I tell you what, and, and he his latest album is Killer 2, man. But that guy wrote some of the great songs, man. Heck yeah. When I went to DC 101, Mellencamp played a couple of months uh, after I, I had arrived. And it's hard to get people to buy into you, mm-hmm. uh, in the early days especially. And Mellencamp let me come up and sing Jack and Diane with it.
0: That's fantastic. Which
1: gave me my credibility in Washington, D.C. And from that point on, I was a well-known DJ in Washington, uh, Washington D.C.
0: And did that, that helped the band as well? You, you had Smash Band? Oh, I didn't band. have Smash Band yet. Oh, you didn't have no, it yet. No. Okay. All right. <clears throat> didn't
1: have it yet. I was just in town two months. Okay. But when, and you know, and back then, Wavo was one of the other uh, radio stations in in D.C., and so that was a a battle along with the the top 40 type stations. And, um, but when Camp let me come up there, and I sang, because I knew the songs, Jack and Diane with it, right there on the stage, I got pictures of it. Uh, Washington, D.C., rock and roll community bought into me, and I got to be the smash in D.C. It was magnificent. That was magnificent. I tell you another great story. One last story, because uh, now you're getting me reminiscing.
0: That's yeah. all right. Keep t- all right. So I'll I'm keep few- recording as long as you want to talk. I'll, oh, okay. l- I'll listen. I don't know how long this goes. It's man. great. As long as you want. Oh, it's really? Great. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm a big uh, Springsteen fan. Yeah. Love that Eastern Seaboard type of music. Springsteen, Southside Johnny, uh, uh, the Beaver Brown Band, John Cafferty, and so I hadn't met Springsteen. I met everybody but i met springsteen so springsteen uh, is coming to town when springsteen is not playing at least in those days clarence clemens had a badass band i mean yeah.
0: badass he's a big man he was like, well, he had a band yeah. called
1: the red bank rockers and i guess red bank is part of the jersey shore yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that definitely so it was the red bank rockers and they had a dude uh his name was johnny i can't remember his last name He was one of the most phenomenal singers I've ever heard. Anyway, Clarence would come on my show to hype up his band and Clarence would let me come up and sing songs with him. And and so it was kind of like a thrill because I'm up there with Clarence Clemens and I'm singing rock and roll songs, you know, midnight hour, uh, all those great uh, songs of of that particular era. And so we became friends say Clarence, Can you give me tickets to the upcoming Springsteen show? No problem, Smash. Don't worry about it. So he gives me the tickets. In fact, come back uh, after the show and meet Bruce. I am on the joy train, all right? (laughs) So me and my wife, who's pregnant, uh, go. Uh, this, This is how good these tickets were. There were 13 rows sitting two rows behind me was Julianne Phillips, I think was her name, was Springsteen's wife. So I had better tickets than Springsteen's wife. Wow. Right? So, <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's uh it's showtime. Springsteen starts yeah. up, it's magnificent, it's the RFK Stadium, and my wife decides to go into labor. And so <laughs> oh my I say God. I say, Debsy, I said, We're going backstage after this. Can you can you hold <laughs> uh, this is my first, first uh, child with her and she said, I don't think I can. And so winds up, I go get to security, uh, cause, and I'll give all you young DJs out there a tip. You wanna make sure that you got great situations going for you at the concerts. Make sure you know the security guys. They'll take care of you if you will take care of them. Yeah, Nevertheless, yeah. I go to the security guys. I said, my wife's in labor. Can you guys escort us out out of here? So uh, as we were leaving RFK Stadium through our our car uh, windows, we we heard uh, Thunder Road, and uh, that was our song. Me and Debs. That was our th- Our song after that. So I never got to meet Springsteen because I had to leave. But I had a wonderful son. Uh, my son Isaac came out of that whole deal. So that was uh, magnificent. But I just been blessed to have had uh, tie-ins with. I'll tell you another, can I tell you another one last? Well, well thing? let me ask you one question. Go, so go, is go. is
0: Isaac a, a Springsteen fan?
1: You know, the first uh, concert I took Isaac to was ACDC. <laughs> so, you know, he's, That's a uh, good first concert. He, he's, he's a great music fan, and he yeah. understands Springsteen's music. When uh, he was a kid, uh, he was shredding ferociously on his guitar to MTV, uh, sitting in the uh, living room, and just shredding. Yeah. And uh, as I was walking to leave for a gig, I thought to myself, man, how unfortunate would it be for this kid, the only kind of guitar he knew how to play was Shred. Yeah. All right. So I asked the boys, I said, What would you think if I brought my kid in and and uh let him be a part of the band? Because from these seasoned players that Smash Band has, uh the kid would learn all kinds of different styles. So for about the first two months, we didn't even turn him up but he thought he was doing something I would say. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. How how old was he at this point? I uh,
1: must have been 16 Okay, something gotcha. like that. And so uh I told Johnny uh who was doing PA, I, I told PA guy, uh don't even turn him up, you know? <laughs> uh will know when it's time to turn him up. We turn him start turning him up little by little. Yeah, right? that's, but he became, that's he was cool. able to play any kind of guitar now and he's quite the musician now. So he knows Dad loves Springsteen. Dad loves all kinds of stuff. I love Delbert McClinton yeah. uh, as much as I love Springsteen. People ask me if you could sing like somebody, who would it be like? And I always tell them, I'd love to sing like Delbert McClinton because that guy has that right kind of rasp, has the right kind of power, and knows how to put a dynamic on his voice to fit the song correctly. That's what I love about uh, Delbert McClinton. But uh, I'm standing outside the Fox Theater, Robert Plant solo for a solo tour. Robert Plant and... uh,
0: Was that the Now and Zen album?
1: I think that, boy, that sounds familiar. Yeah, but it was his first uh, first solo tour. So I'm hosting the show. So uh, I meet Robert Plant. He he asked, uh, can you come with me outside? Because I got to have a smoke. Back then, these guys, they used to smoke. Yeah, yeah. And go out there and (laughs) have the great raspy voices. And so (laughs) a girl came up and she uh, asked me, he said, like I'm his bodyguard or something. Do you mind if I ask Robert Plant a question? I looked at him. He said, "Sure." And so he was good with his fans. Uh, she said, I, "I just wanted to tell you that we named our daughter after you and your band." Oh, really? What's your daughter's name? <laughs> she said, <laughs> "Zeppelin Dawn." <laughs> he looked wow. at me That's and was uh, and I looked at her and just. Kind of like congratulated her and thanked her for yeah. honoring the band like that. But Zeppelin Dawn. It's amazing how uh, rock and roll touches people, man. You know? Yeah, no amazing. doubt. And how the radio station touches people, how the music touches people.
0: And I think that's totally why a lot of times we talk about the cover bands and the tribute yeah. bands. And people just want to, they associate those memories and those feelings yes. with those bands yeah. you know, and want to go back. And I yeah. get it. And I do that as well, but I also like at this period in life as well, I want to hear some new things mm-hmm. so then down the line I can associate those new songs with what's going on in my life now. Yeah. So I'm kind of hopefully always moving forward. Yeah. I don't know, who knows at some point, you know, that may stop, but, right. but I hope to always discover new music as I as I get older and yeah, have definitely. those memories, and that's why I'm definitely. I'm trying to put my nephew on the right track and my niece and play you know just things really cool songs yeah. or or give them the history of music and let them decide for themselves what they like because they're hearing things on YouTube and things with their friends and they like Imagine Dragons which I think yeah. is a really cool band mm-hmm. and you know worked on uh, some videos with but not directly I wasn't yeah. directing but you know on crews for a live concert with mm-hmm. them and just, you know, kind of rap with those guys backstage right, right. and just seem like really, yeah. really cool guys, you yeah. know, just a nice vibe. And, and so, yeah, it's kind of cool for me to explore that with my niece and nephew. And then, yeah. you know, at some point, if I have kids yeah. to introduce them to music and and kind of get into and listen to what they're, yeah. what's going on with them. That's and then, right. you know, and then maybe, yeah. So, you know, hopefully that cycle continues well, a little can while I longer. interrupt you for a real Please. quick second? Yeah, of course. Because
1: at one time Isaac was into this, uh, like, uh Norwegian uh death metal and all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, I'm trying to get into it with him and everything. That was a little tough, but I understand music so I was cool with it and everything. But yeah, you wanna you wanna you know, you wanna teach your kids and you wanna learn with your kids. Definitely. You know?
0: Well, I just saw there's a band that, uh, it's not death metal, but it's like an operatic metal. So I guess it'd be called no. European power pop. But there's uh, this band. I lo- yeah, I love that stuff. There's this band called Nightwish. And I just saw them at the Two Hill, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Just went last minute, bought a ticket. Yeah. I was I was planning on going, but didn't know what was going on. Bought yeah. a ticket last minute. I think I was seven rows from the stage. Oh, really? And it was, oh, it was so amazing. At the Two Hill. At the Two Hill. Nice. And it was just, it to me, it's it's like heavy metal and yeah. and just rock and roll, yeah. But with the operatic singing, mm-hmm. you know, it was like an opera in that space. Yeah, amazing. And I just that's a show I'll never forget mm-hmm. because it was just just in that space. Yeah. This band, it was amazing. Yeah. Um,
1: I tell you, one of the things that uh, has been uh, really amazing is to see the prominence of women in the various musical genres, as opposed to the early days when it's you know a lot. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me, male-driven, but to see the the girls come out rocking. Yeah. See the girls come out with a grasp of country music. You know, of course you had the girl groups back in the early 60s and everything, so that was a tangent to the male groups yeah. and everything, but just to see uh women with their grip uh a uh, nice grip on their kind of rock and roll uh, has been something to watch over all these years, you know.
0: Definitely. Yep. When we're, we're talking about, you know, there was one quote and I put in my notes with um, Gene Simmons saying rock and roll is dead. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, do, do you think rock and roll is dead or is it uh, just kind of manifest, you know, it's a, like just yeah. transforming itself?
1: Rock and roll is different. Yeah. That's all. Rock and roll is what you want it to be now. Country can be rock and roll, you know, because some lot of that stuff. It does is, sound
0: yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like the. I tell you, one of the
1: greatest uh, innovators uh, of the actual chord structure and everything is this guy, Jack White. I love Jack White, man. And there's a guy that shows you that rock and roll ain't dead. It's just different. Yeah, yeah. You know? Gene Simmons, I, I'll i never forget introducing Kiss, maybe 1978, 79, something like that. And I got to meet them afterwards. Mm-hmm. I hosted the show, but I didn't get to meet them until afterwards. So I get backstage afterwards. They don't have their makeup on. And these guys, back in that day, they didn't have the kind of makeup that they have nowadays with the scientific improvements that have happened. Sure, yeah. These guys had welts and blackheads and pimples all over their face. It was astounding to see because it's kind of like, why would you do that to your face, you know? But you look at these guys now and uh, you see some scarage, but nothing that's, that's yeah, bad yeah. anymore. As far as Gene Simmons is concerned, he's one of the great masters of manipulation of manipulation. And uh you know, a saying like that is great to manipulative for sure. for him, you know. It brings yeah. it brings them, meaning the press, meaning the the fan, whoever it brings them back to him.
0: That's right. All right? So and it gives him the heat. That's, he's that's a what smart, it's all about he for is him. A, he's an intelligent one of the smartest businessman
1: I've ever seen and, and studied.
0: No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. You know, he's he's controversial, but you have to wonder how much of that is to get that heat. Yeah. And to get, because, I mean, what what better than, that's PR is, you you know, he's, good or he's bad. He's my age, man, man. Good or bad.
1: He's my age. He's still getting the heat. Yeah, no Salute doubt. Salute to Gene. No doubt. And he, they're know? still selling records. They're yeah. still, still I have selling this,
0: out. I don't know if they're selling out, but they're filling up auditoriums. I
1: have this conspiracy theory. That the guys on stage aren't even Gene and, uh,
0: and Ace Frehley yeah, and yeah. Paul, or any of those guys. And that was Tommy Thayer. Yeah, there's and, just guys uh, yeah, in Patrick costume, yeah.
1: And there's they're, they're lip syncing to the uh, the PA.
0: Well, and and even if it's even hypothetical if it's not, situation, of some, course, at some way some at some point it will be because that's their brand. Should sure. we replace Peter, Chris, and Ace Frehley? Yeah. And Tommy Thayer's a phenomenal guitar player, yeah. and has a great stage presence. Right and, you know, can sing. Um, you know, at one point when Paul's voice was messed up, I saw them in Springfield with a friend. They were yeah. just playing like this barn tour, smaller venues. Yeah. Were really cool, uh, and Paul could hardly sing, so Tommy Thayer was picking up for him. So at mm. some point, I think. That that kiss is going to be, you know, it is a brand, but it will yeah. fully be a brand, and they'll switch out singers, and it's all about the makeup yeah. and and the songs. So yeah, no. Well,
1: of course, one day yeah. there's going to be the holograms, man, and the holograms. It could be. yeah. Uh, you can do ten shows in one night.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. no doubt. You know, all over they'll project. Em. Yeah. But but looking at that, yeah, and I, I still think you know all forms of music, and like you said, whatever you're vibing to. Uh huh. Um, you know, is something that's relevant in your life. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool. Um, looking at, you know, going back to, you know, I guess as far as all the musicians and mm-hmm. and people that you've met over the years as a DJ, did anybody stand out? Who was, you know, who was one person that you, that you look back and it was just you know, a total blessing to have met them?
1: Well, I tell you one, uh, and it was a blessing in that he was really, really mad. And uh, I don't know why I was mad because I didn't want to ask him, but I was interviewing him. Me and Radio Rich was Pete Townsend. It was after the Who show at uh, Bush Stadium. Mm -hmm. And so me and Radio Rich uh, went back uh, in the name of Casey to uh, interview the guy. (laughs) I was going to say interrupt. Interview the guy, and he was just pissed about something. Mm -hmm. And each one of his answers were terse, and they were fast. (laughs) And it was kind of like, when will this be over? Yeah. And that was a great study. In how to, because if you're a fan, even if the guy's pissed like that, man, you're gonna be all right with it because yeah. you're next to Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend, I used to love Pete Townsend, man. He was one of the uh, originals that that rocked, you know. Because uh, when we first, as kids, saw them destroying their equipment and their instruments and everything, it was like, wow, that's like balls all the way. Yeah, yeah. And and that's like. That's what we want to do, but not necessarily our equipment because we can't afford it. But we (laughs) sure would like to tear up some other things Uh that uh, that were of the establishment in that day.
0: Yeah. And that was so big in that time. Yeah. 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 So Pete Townsend, uh, Pete Townsend was
1: was pretty cool because of his anger. Sure. And his uh, I don't want to be. You could tell he didn't want to be doing this, but uh, he did it because it's part of the promotion.
0: And what year was that? Mm, I don't Do remember, remember, but okay. uh, it was oh, when
1: when the Who were in town oh, at and Bush this was, Stadium. Oh,
0: so you were in case. yes, yeah, so I was in case she had to talk. late eighties, yeah. early nineties, maybe. No, uh, I have to be the early nineties. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Exactly right. right. So uh, that maybe was, he was pretty good. I tell you what, man. Yeah, grunge coming out then and changing changing the landscape. of yeah. Yeah. Rock music. One sort of the of
1: other uh, thing, you know, I, I fortunately have always been in good bands because. I'm not uh, really that great a uh, singer. I might be a better entertainer than I am a singer, but I got my own type of style and all that kind of stuff. And I've always been blessed to be surrounded by musicians
0: mm-hmm.
1: who made me better because they were way better than me. So I've always had great bands. Smart. That's brilliant. Because of a musician. Yeah. Got to. Yeah. Um, and it's only been two times that I ever felt that we ever got blown away, that we were worthy of standing on the same stage with these guys. And that was when we opened up for Yes and when we opened up for Edgar Winters' White Trash. And Edgar Winters' White Trash was a band that I would have wanted to emulate. Yes was just of a different stratosphere Mm -hmm. because of the kind of things that they did with the music. But we opened up for them, and it was kind of like, whoa, we shouldn't have been on this show. You know, (laughs) We shouldn't have been on this show. And, uh, but Edgar Winters, White Trash, we opened up for them too at a nightclub called Reflections in Cincinnati. And just down the street was Alice Cooper. Guy comes running in and says, you guys got to go down the street and see this guy. He's got snakes around his, uh, uh, neck and everything. And went down there, it was Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. Didn't even talk to him or anything. Played golf with him once (laughs) a long time. That's cool. Later on down the line. Nice, nice. And, uh, and I told him that story, too. He remembered Cincinnati. But Edgar Winters' White Trash really kind of blew us away because we were that kind of band. and uh, and But they were that kind of band better than us like a step, you know? So that was uh, pretty spectacular. One show that we shouldn't have been on was uh, we opened up for Average White Band. And so we're a, a band that's playing music like, reo sticks that midwestern pop rock type of stuff at least as far as our originals were going and uh but we got put on the show uh with with average white band yeah i love average white band anyhow and uh but the problem was the crowd was about 80 percent black and they didn't want to hear us do our white boy stuff (laughs) and so uh it, it was the funniest thing because the the stage manager pulls me off during a a guitar lead and and says, come on over here, so I went over this, we gotta cut you 10 minutes short. And so (laughs) we did one more song and that was it. Because we had to get out of the way because we weren't getting over to the black crowd because they were waiting for Average White Band, man. And then Average White Band came up and just kicked ass, and they were magnificent, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was South Bend, Indiana right on yeah 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 so yeah. I've been fortunate to be uh, in a lot of great situations uh, just through you know various people who I know various people who know me and uh, we're able to make things things happen you know
0: and, and one cool thing that you make happen is a lot of the charity work that uh, that you donate your time oh, with yeah. Uh, you know a lot of a lot of yeah. shows of Smash Band is charity shows yeah and I met you when? Oh, when was this this had to be <laughs> I think it was when I first uh, you had a conversation or just met you in person was uh I think circa two thousand. Oh yeah. And you had uh you were doing some charity thing at the uh at the Saint Louis Galleria. Sure. And uh, I went there to see my friends Poppies Three. Oh Poppies uh, Three, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. And that's when uh they were like, Hey meet meet my friend yeah. Smash and blah, yeah. blah, blah. hey Smash, good to meet you. You know, they're still playing uh, under a different name. Yeah, after Alberta and I've been there uh, you are they have an open invitation. Hey guys, you have an open invitation to come rap on oh, the they podcast. They are phenomenal musicians. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I really appreciated was, I mean, because the music industry and the entertainment industry is so biased. You know, you get, yeah. you look at it and you get to a certain age and people look at it like, oh, okay, those guys are done, this and that, or you don't have yeah. anything to say or, yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is. Or people don't want to get behind you because there's a limited number of years. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's maybe a certain shelf life. And right. that's one thing. What was just amazing with them, and is super proud of what they did. They went to this punk competition mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. That's right. And uh, and they beat out that. all the young punks and yeah. all that. And they're because, yeah. I th- And I think their songwriting has such energy, but it's good songwriting yeah. and good stories. Yeah. And the way I look at it is that's a band that each song has its own persona, its own mm-hmm. identity, its mm-hmm. own. You, you, you know, it's its own thing. Some yeah. bands you listen to, and uh, it's just like every song on the album is like, okay, yeah, I've kind of heard right. that song. Right. But with them, it's like these, these distinct songs and just the storytelling, and I think that's what gets them over. Yeah. And the fact that a three-piece, the sound yeah. that they had right. was just so amazing right. and just such a, a powerful, rich sound. And yep. they all can sing, the harmonies, and to, to me, they were, uh, you know, I never got to see the Beatles, and granted, they were uh, – you just an indie band that, that didn't have any national play or anything but to me I saw them as they were my version of one of my versions of the Beatles because yeah. just with their harmony and their good songwriting yep. and it was like oh I could name off that's all right. these songs oh that song that this song this song that, and that's like a band like the Beatles where they just have all these signature songs so yep. love those guys and yeah. they're doing, doing some cool things out there Alberta yeah. so yeah still I'm glad to see they're still playing and, and enjoying it but look Oodly,
1: at the still live in red bud. they they're yeah. in red bud their
0: house is they've done such a beautiful I remember job when i first man. started up on that house Yeah, it's art that house is yeah. artwork my man it's just, i would imagine it's beautiful and patty is, leans that way oh patty's yep. totally cool and yep. just he's a great great soul yep. and randy's is such a talented guy yep. so yeah i love those guys so yep. uh I have to uh, tag them on let them know I uh right on you know we we spoke highly of them here yeah. and just you know shared the love but you know speaking of when we look at these these great songs and we and we think about it as the songs that are the soundtracks of our life mm-hmm. you know that make up the soundtrack of our life yeah who you have a, a song or two that kind of help define who, who the smash is uh, I mean it's maybe a loaded question maybe a tough one
1: yeah that's a that's a tough one because Different songs elicit different situations in yeah. your mind. Um, you know, certain songs will remind me of my kids. Uh, certain songs will remind me of my wife. Certain songs will remind me of uh, my girlfriend. <laughs> certain songs will remind you of situations. Yeah. And uh, bring a joy to you or a hatred to you, man. That totally. Yeah, things, it's powerful, you know? powerful stuff. So, yeah. Um, you know, like I said, if I go back to, to an album, it would be Eli and the 13th Confession. I remember my wife, uh, Debbie, uh, prior to her passing away, would always hate that album because that album covered me in a very dark period uh, while I was at Indiana University as a youngster. And I had a very, very dark period. And that album, the music on that album, the melody, the orchestral arrangements on that album, the piano on that album, just touch me. So, I uh, I will always uh, have that to listen to if and when I want. And uh, then you know I'm I'm uh, blessed to be able to graduate to something as, uh, as something as as Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Just have a good combination of soul and white boy blues on that, you yeah. know, and then uh you know, then you go and and honestly, something like uh the bee gees. When you think about your girl more than a woman, more than a woman and yeah. me. Yeah.
0: More than a woman. Well, yeah, because yeah. uh, you know, she means think, something. That's to why you. I don't sing, but yeah. yeah. But, but that's a great song. Yeah.
1: That so I, yeah. I you know, I I I would uh, have to look at various songs and and see how they affect me. But I've been blessed that I am one time a guy, and I wind it up like this, man. One time a guy uh, was interviewing me, Mm -hmm. and he said, it must be great to be a DJ with a band. I said, yeah, I guess it is. He says, well, what do you mean? He guess you're a DJ with a band. I said, I'm not a DJ with a band. I'm a musician with a radio show. And so being a musician, although I don't play an instrument, but being a musician, I understand what the musicians go through to to give us the great songs that they give us, even to give us the crap songs that they give us, all (laughs) right? Because there's a greatness in that because you understand the effort that's put forth to lay out that uh, musical... Conglomeration, that chord structure, whatever the case may be. So I always appreciated the musician and I always uh, backed the musicians. I'll never forget when I first uh, went on Casey. I uh, said, One of the things I want to do is bring on local music. He said, No, no, we don't want to, people don't want to hear that stuff. I said, Let me tell you what, we're building a new radio show. You bring on the bands and let them play their songs, and I'll make sure. That a band will come on without me checking out their song first because they got to be good songs. And mm-hmm. we usually let everybody play two songs. And um, um, the thing about it is, let them put their music out there. That helps them. But you know what else it does? That's what I tell management. It helps us grow the morning show exponentially because the five people in the band will tell all their friends and family who tell all their friends and family. So now you have an audience listening to you that mm-hmm. wasn't there before. And I bet you, if you gave those bands, Casey t-shirts, DC one-on-one t-shirts, they'd be wearing them at their next gig. And thus you promote oh, yeah. and you build like that. Yeah, yeah, And, uh, so that's at that point, they let me bring bands on. Nice. I was supportive of the uh, local music community. It happened in DC, uh, and in. uh, In uh, St. Louis, in Indianapolis, it was the last days of promoting local bands Mm -hmm. because corporate radio was starting to come into play and everything. There's nothing wrong with corporate radio. What's wrong is the repetitiveness of uh, the songs. You know, this is a contrary of capitalism. And so one of the great things about it is we're able to get that kind of music out. But the problem with it is, like I said earlier, if I want to hear the Beatles, man, I don't want to hear Hey Jude er, Mm -hmm. anymore. I like Hey Jude, but I don't like it every time the Beatles come on. Yeah, yeah. Or Lady Madonna. I love Lady Madonna, but not every time the Beatles come on. There are so many great Beatles songs.
0: Same with Rush, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rush is just an amazing catalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even some of their their newer albums had had some interesting things, but then you look back in the back catalog, there's just like a lot of great songs. Yeah. Um, So
1: I've just been blessed to be in a great business, and uh, I had a 51-year run. And so now I can relax. That's nice, man. Yeah. nice.
0: Well, looking back at your radio days, there was a, in Indianapolis a situation that you were you were telling me about oh, earlier yeah, that yeah. you wanted to clear up. What uh what was happening? Well, there? yeah,
1: um I like I said earlier, I don't bust my back for nobody to be treated like a piece of crap. So, anyway, I uh got an opportunity to be a DJ on WNAP radio which supported our band and helped lift our band up very highly in, in that, uh, era. And, uh, also I became a DJ, worked the midnight to six shift. And I'll never forget the f- the first where I thought was, uh, just an insult to me was uh, a guy who ran a place comes up to me and says, uh, listen, I got good news and bad news. Bad news. were." taking you off your your shift. That's a nighttime shift. I'm a musician. Nighttime shift's what I'm all about, right, on. And we're moving you, good news, to mornings. (laughs) Now, I go to sleep at 3 in the morning. I don't wake up at 3 in the morning, okay? And so I was pissed because they didn't ask me, would you do that? They didn't ask me. They just told me. I was making good money, so I I, I slid over and, Mm -hmm. and did it. And then there was uh, disrespect and various uh, amount of other things uh, that are too lengthy to go into. But in the end, between that point and the disrespect, and then I went into the big boss. And a big boss, I asked him for a raise because I was now working mornings. I can understand you don't make as much money at night as you do in the main shift, which is mornings, at least in that day, it was, and so he said, "Okay, if you get a twelve point on your next ratings um then I'll give you the raise. The raise was to go from twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year to fourteen thousand. That's about a hundred bucks a month. That's all I was asking for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One commercial in those days cost a hundred dollars. They played maybe ten thousand in a month, okay, <laughs> so you can't afford to give me, yeah, no, yeah, so." comes to uh the the time that the the book comes out we get a 12.2 okay i go back in all right so when when can i start my raise well oh, i never told you i was going to give you a raise oh, man and he and i shook shook hands back then mm-hmm. shaking hands was your was your contract
0: i'm a handshake kind of guy myself yeah. if i give and my word man. my word's gold yeah.
1: so he said no i didn't i didn't say anything like that and so i thought okay i'm gonna walk so i walked I walked out on those guys. When I walked out on those guys, everyone who worked in that building, none of them ever talked to me again to this day. And um, I was misrepresented like I was the ass who left, all right? Now, answer me this. I decided to go to another station. I didn't have a contract ahead of time, but I got an opportunity to another station. Mm -hmm. That station went from 12,500 they, the new station, offered me $35,000. we will talk about a jump. Oh. Okay? I took that gig.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But That's three times. the original
1: station sued me. You can't walk out on us. You're breaking your contract. When you didn't uphold your handshake, you broke the contract. I didn't break the contract. You broke the contract. Yeah, yeah. But you can't uh, go work for a competitor. you have to wait six months. So they sued me for 1.5 million dollars. All right. And
0: what year was this?
1: 1980. All so, right. So that was now, a lot of
0: money in 1980. One, yeah, wow.
1: So I said all I asked for was a $100 a month raise to $14,000 a year. And I'm worth 1.5 million dollars and you can't give me 14,000? <laughs> and so uh, yeah, that,
0: that math doesn't work out no that's, like, not, good. that's not good it's not math. good math and, and yeah. so
1: the disappointing thing to me really in all that was uh i had to stay off the air for six months and then i started up at the new station um but the disappointing thing to me was that not one person that i worked with at the old station came up to me for my side of the story in all the years in all the years so I appreciate you letting me uh, put an encapsulated okay. version of it right there.
0: And never, all the years, including so, this never happened. Nobody asked your side of the story. No. Oh man,
1: pretty wild, huh?
0: This shows, man. Sometimes people, it's just uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I know love they're, people. They know where the their 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 bread and is buttered. Yeah.
1: So they they're going to stay on the money side over there. You know. Yeah. They don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to take my side because they're going to lose their jobs. I understand it. Yeah. But you could have come to me. Between me and yeah. you, and I could have told you the truth. Instead, I've been, uh, you know, painted as the bad guy here since 1980 to now. Oh, wow. So Our that's the first paint. time that's gotten out. Oh, nice. uh, I can go deeper into the story if we had more time. That's, but Thanks for that's, sharing. That's, <laughs> no, thanks for sharing. <laughs> no, it's just something that bothered me. That's good. And it's it, good it, to get it out. It's like well, therapy, yeah. you know. It's like, yeah. yeah. Therapy because, here. Of course, yeah. at one point in time, those guys were my friend. Yeah. So your friends can't. Hey Ash, what happened? You know, Smash. What, what what was that all about? nobody came and asked me.
0: Nah, that's but crazy. that's that's all right. And that's the thing when you and, and that's I mean that's why I may never have a lot of money, but I mm-hmm. uh, always keep my integrity. And this that's is exactly one of those right. things, man. Because I don't feel I don't feel right if I'm. Yep. You know I don't know if it's yep. a matter of. Selling out, but it's just doing the right thing, and you know I yeah. I passed up jobs in video yeah. where people wanted me to produce or production manage. Yeah, and uh, talk a guy talking to me on the phone the previous year, he wanted uh, there was a we were out in cornfields working on uh, agriculture, mm-hmm. and uh, you know be a big business in agriculture, and uh, just not wanting the crew to drive back after a long day, you know, drive from a, a field in Litchfield, Illinois, yeah. an hour and a half, yeah, and and not spending what $50 or $80 right. on a hotel man right. and it's just like it's not safe you know these yeah. people working long hours in the heat yep. you want them to go back home to sleep just to wake up in the morning and come back it's like God, yeah. man i know you're not pinched for this kind of money yeah, and right. there was, and it's the way some of the guys handle it i was on their yeah. side but uh you know they they were a little ridiculous at times yeah. and but the way I'm thinking about it, you know, I had my, my pop was on there. He had his motor home and I had a, a buddy of mine that went to school in that area, I had him as a production assistant. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to put this on my credit card. We'll, you know, we'll get a room. Yeah. We don't need anything fancy. We'll be safe. And then I pushed for the other guys, eventually got reimbursed. But the guy calls me a year later and, and mentioned the guys that had brought it up and yeah, maybe they're a little abrasive in their yeah. delivery, but they were right. Mm. And you know, and that's at one point I said, yeah, you know, honestly, yeah, I don't always agree with these guys, but they yeah. were right. It's unsafe, right. and uh, you know, the guy and I said, yeah, and you know, you can't do that again. It's just, this is not right. cool. That's so right. you know, he hired somebody out of Chicago yeah. for that job, and yep. but you know, I you know, it felt good to keep my integrity and just exactly tell them, right. it's not safe. Exactly, it's right. just not good. So yep. I you know, I can't you know, I, I had to stand up for those guys mm-hmm. because in that particular situation, they were, they were right. So yeah, you right just got to do it, man. You just got to do it. But you know, a few more questions here. This has been, this has been great, man. I really cool. appreciate you taking the time out. And yeah. this has been good. We've been talking about this for a while. Whenever we cross paths, right. so I remember all that great yeah. seeing you at, uh, you know, one of Javier shows and yes, another great That's guy. Up. And, you know, as I'll yeah. open this up, hobocane.com, yeah. check out his music. but, I it. think that's
1: a killer day, mobile game, man. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. stretching
0: it out, man. He's just one of those uber-talented guys that, yeah. you, you know, you want to see great things happen for. And, yeah. Um, but a good family man as well, and I think that's one of the things. He does a great job raising his kids. Yeah. He did a great job looking after his dad when he was uh, going oh, through all right. that's Alzheimer's. right. I forgot about all that, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you know, we mix life in with, with our art and mm-hmm. how do we, you know, it's like the whole... As my friend Paul says, you know, the, it's, it's a whole bowl of chili. So we got to mix it, you know, mix <laughs> it up. Right. But but looking at that yourself, you know, father of three yeah. who have, uh, you know, that that artistic side of their lives yeah. and making a living with it. How, how was did you go about raising them? Did you did you I mean, of course, they're seeing their your example. Yeah. But how did you go about cultivating their artistic side?
1: Oh. Well, uh my my son Abraham, who is a uh, very well-known character actor out in Hollywood, uh, we took him out there when he was 19. And uh, he has worked every day since. That's what's amazing about it. And he, in fact, he just turned 50, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, he's old enough to be my dad now, you know? The <laughs> guy's 50, that's your yeah. dad's age. So uh, he always wanted to be an actor as a kid, man. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I've always been like a provider type. I'll go work, mom, you make sure the kids in the house and everything's taken care of. That's old Greek type of thing. Sure, you know. Yeah. The old country coming through there. That's right. And so we uh, nurtured his love uh, of watching TV and, and doing little tiny plays and everything by taking him to civic theater in Indianapolis. He then went on to do uh, theater work at Indiana University. He calls me two years into his collegiate uh, life and says, Dad, I wanna uh I wanna quit uh I wanna quit college. What you wanna do? I wanna be an actor. We wanna go east, west. He said, I wanna go west. So I told him, I said, in my opinion, college is fantastic, but the best education you can get is from the university of doing it.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: And so Go out and do it, and so we took him out there. He's nineteen. Take care of himself. I said, I got you covered till you're twenty-one. Meaning, you know, pay the rent and all that kind of stuff, because that's what what you did back then. You know, took care of until they're twenty-one or at least graduate mm-hmm. from college. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happened him first. Took care of your kids like that, and uh, and so he hit pay dirt about six weeks in, man. Uh,
0: six weeks in. Yeah, hey, six wow. weeks in. Wow. But
1: see, he's six foot eight, three hundred yeah. pounds. Got plenty of blonde, blue eyed boys out there. And so I knew he was going to stick out. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, he got a, uh, it it started with a uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. And he got a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. Then he started bringing him into various other commercials. Then he got a part, because people would see him, he got a part on a show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose.
0: That's right. I knew it was a medical type show.
1: Well, that, that that was coming. Oh, okay. Parker Lewis Can't Lose was a school show. Oh, he, was a, he was a school bully, but a lovable that's bully. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And then right. came okay. ER, and he was on ER for about 13 years.
0: Oh, I'm mixing Parker Lewis yeah, and Doogie Hauser. Right. Okay, Parker Lewis. Ah, yeah. ah, that's right. Okay, yeah. I and knew then, it was one of those yeah. quirky names. Okay.
1: And then my son Isaac, uh, he was just musically inclined. Yeah. And so me understanding, because I never had the- uh, the discipline to be an actual player I was a front man mm-hmm. but I loved music and so <clears throat> he took to music and I got him his first guitar lessons and uh piano lessons and all that stuff and uh, he became a, a good guitarist through mozingo music here in town and like I said one day I saw him shredding I thought okay well that's all fine that's what the kid likes but boy Learn to play all kinds of different guitars and you can be in any band, uh-huh. you know? And so we got him in Smash Band. And I think maybe the boys uh, in the band were accommodating me because I'm the boss and all that kind <laughs> of stuff. So maybe that's why they let the kid in. Uh-huh. Then Ava uh, is just a, a music lover, a listener of music. And so that, uh, for the most part, was cultivated with the kind of music that we had in the house because I was always uh, rolling with music in my office and then music was always coming out of my office and sometimes the kids would come and have a seat and just listen and watch me do whatever uh, I would do. Now, you can put a full studio in your office,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, so I can only imagine how good it is for the youngsters of today if their parents are musically inclined like that, man, because now you can learn to run a studio, you know?
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's, yeah. Yeah, the so, technology, it's so much more that. Exce- yeah, so, so we, we, we brought accessible. them up knowing yeah. that
1: the, that they were... They were mus- musically inclined. My son Abraham, that guy's got like maybe twenty thousand CDs, man. He's a CD collector, and he is quite a guitar player, man. Right on. Pretty wild, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, how we brought him up uh, in in the music biz over there.
0: That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's a great story. What um, what advice would do you wish you gave yourself at twenty one?
1: Oh, at twenty one. At
0: 21, if I look back
1: now, what advice do I wish I would have given myself? Learn to be a player. Learn to play an instrument. My favorite instrument is saxophone. So I I should have uh, been a killer saxophone player. I wasn't one who held discipline well. And so I didn't take to it. But uh, at 21, because I tell you what, man, if I knew how to play saxophone, guitar, piano, and thank you, Lord, I got a business acumen for all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I I would have been on either coast and I'd have done something. So that's what I would tell my 21 year Mm -hmm. old self learn and then go and achieve. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And, uh, And now what is, you know, looking back at life, uh, I mean, what is your definition for success in life?
1: Well, success in life uh, to me, and I ain't saying I'm right, but success in life to me is to meet all your your debts. In other words, make sure you can pay the rent. Make sure you can pay this. Make sure you can uh, can do that. And the debt uh, to yourself. Make sure you can... Make yourself happy. You know, make sure that you're in a, a situation that makes people appreciate you. Uh, and make sure you, you you come to a fulfillment within yourself that allows you to just carry on as yourself, you know, as as opposed to maybe having to be something you're not. Uh, so you got to find that, that line of happiness and step over into it because... They're waiting for you over there, man. All the happy people.
0: And did you find that 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 uh, idea? I mean, I think as we all get older, our definition of success changes. Yeah. Uh, from more you know youngsters and looking yeah. at this world with these big eyes and like, oh, I can get this and that. You realize right. that it's not all about those things. But I think it's right integrity and honor and definitely so. Creating uh, some things definitely so because.
1: Uh, I've lost a lot of situations because I would prefer to be uh, of an integrity level, you know? Mm -hmm. I've had radio stations come to me and uh, we're looking to fire uh, Bob over here. We'd like to put you in. Well, I might have needed the work, but I said, does Bob know that he's about to get fired? No. Well, I tell you what, man. If the job is open, I'll come in and talk with you about it, but I am not going to take Bob's job.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's happened to me a few times, and I I would rather not take these guys' jobs because they got wives and kids they got to take care of, too. Maybe they are going to get fired. Okay. If that hole exists at that time, then I'm not taking Bob's job. He's already been. But if you come in and Bob's still working there, and you take his job, then you're really kind of a punk ass. Huh? <laughs> that's what I
0: think. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. To end, uh, there was you have a quote. I think it was on your website, or I heard it somewhere. Um, it's a, your quote about being remembered. I think oh that, yeah, right. That's a good way. I mean, do, before we go to that, do you, anything else you want to you want to add, or you want to talk about? We've covered a lot. No, man. It's been, man, been this fascinating.
1: Is good. You know, maybe we do another one six, 20 months from yeah, now, yeah. whatever the case may be. But no, this, this is this is good. Uh, I was uh, able to publicly uh, get the story at, at WNAP out there because it's been held under cloak for uh, all these years. An
0: exclusive yeah. of Conversations I with guess. Calcaterra exclusive. <laughs> so.
1: I'm cool, man. There's plenty of other things I, I probably think of, but
0: that's all right. This was good. This was yeah. good. In, end with your quote about being remembered. I think that's a great oh, quote uh, and a great way to end this episode. Well, yeah, you know,
1: uh, people worry about their uh, immortality on the uh, on the local level, on the national level, whatever level it is. But you know, I'm here now. I know at some point in time I'm gonna be gone. Main thing for me is, while I was here, I hope you had a good time. And that's, uh, really what my life's been about is providing a good times. That's what my jobs have always been is to give people a good time. If you can help them because their house burned down, you can get them a new house An even better time is had. So we have a thing at uh St. Louis family church it says honor God, help people. And so, uh, you know, if you honor honor God, help people. If you're helping people, then you're honoring God. And, uh, you know, I'll find out, uh, about God when, uh, the calling comes and, uh, at that point in time, everything will be straightened out and, uh, and you, you pre- proceed on to the next level. So, you know, all I can hope is that while I was here, you had a good time cause, uh, that's all I came to do is provide a good time.
0: Well, smash. I had a good time talking with you tonight, well, cool. sharing uh, this conversation and, uh, 'll be it'll be a moment that I'll never forget so thank you for cool, that buddy. Sir. i
1: appreciate you even doing this uh letting me on and i salute what you are doing because you've given you know forget about you know maybe people know me from the work I've done in the community and all that but you got other people who have as as good if not better interesting stories and and keep building that man because you're a blessing for folks Will right be. there.
0: thank you for that sir Serious much business, love man. to you brother all right love to you
1: I'm like a tree Standing tall and strong. It's me, he did deliver. Now my life is a testimony. My life is a testimony, blessed is the man.